This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Bond loathed and despised tea, that flat, soft, time-wasting opium of the masses. It's Thunderball, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to this film. This is the podcast where we're talking about movies that are based on books. Were you going to say something? I was just gonna. I I didn't realize there were Brits who didn't like tea. James Bond does not like tea, and I guess maybe probably by extension, Ian Fleming potentially did not like tea. Who knows? <laughs> but we are doing our very first James Bond novel and film. It's Thunderball. We have every single segment, tons to talk about. So let's get right into it with Let Me Sum Up. If you have not read or watched Thunderball, here is a brief summary. This is the film uh, summary from Wikipedia, uh, but the movie and book are pretty, pretty similar. So we're just going to do one summary this time. If you're not interested in a summary, just skip to 705 to get right to Guess Who. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Spectre operative Emilio Largo devises a plan to hold NATO to ransom by hijacking two atomic bombs from a Royal Air Force Avro Vulcan strategic jet bomber during a training exercise. To facilitate Largo's plans, Spectre operative Count Lippy. Is it Lippy or was it Lippa? I always said Lippe. Lippe. But I don't know. Count Lippe. Uh, Lippa. Lippa. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Count Lippa recruits... <laughs> Angelo Palazzi to oversee the theft of the bombs. With help from Spectre agent Fiona Volpe, Lippa has Palazzi surgically alter his face to match that of French Air Force pilot Francois Derval, who is assisting in the exercise. Volpe and Palazzi murder the real Duval while they are staying at the Shrublands Health Resort, only for the latter to demand more money. Volpe acquiesces merely to have him continue with their operation. Following the plan, Palazzi successfully hijacks the bomber, killing its crew, and lands it in shallow waters within the Bahamas. While the bombs are recovered by his men, Largo mur murders Palazzi for reneging on his original deal with Spectre. Meanwhile... British secret agent James Bond recuperating at Shrublands after killing Spectre assassin Jacques Bouvard, who had faked his death at his chateau, notices Lippa's presence and keeps him under observation, discovering Derval's body. Upon being recalled to London, Bond finds himself targeted by Lippe for trying to interfere. Before he can defend himself, Volpe kills Lippe for jeopardizing Largo's scheme. Once back in London, Bond learns all the double O agents are being put on high alert following the theft of the bombs. After being formed, a major city in the United States or the United Kingdom will be destroyed unless one million pounds, a hundred million. million pounds is paid to Spectre within seven days. 
Wallen talks with M on his assignment. Bond requests to be assigned to Nassau to contact Durval's sister, Domino, after recognizing Durval from the photo given to the agents in their main briefing as the body he found at the resort. Bond meets with Domino, who he learns is the mistress of Largo, when he visits a casino. Both men recognize each other as adversaries and engage in a tense cat-and-mouse game while still pretending ignorance of each other's true nature. Following their initial meeting, Bond meets with his friend, CIA agent Felix Leiter. I say Leiter, but Leiter? I don't know for Felix sure. Felix Leiter. It could be Leiter. A uh, fellow agent, Paula Kaplan, and MI6... Or is it M16? MI6. Is that an I or an L? It's an MI6. MI6 Quartermaster Q to receive equipment to help with finding the bombs, including an underwater infrared camera and a miniature underwater breathing apparatus. Investigating Largo's ship, Disco Volante, he notices an underwater hatch beneath her that intrigues him. The next day, he visits Largo at his estate during the night, only to find that Paula had been abducted and committed suicide before she could talk. Forced to escape, Bond evades Largo's men during a I think it's Jacanu celebration. <laughs> Volpe catches up to Bond, but is killed when Bond puts her between himself and a henchman aiming for Bond. Suspecting the bombs were brought to the area, Bond and Leiter search for the Vulcan and find it camouflaged underwater, along with the bodies of the crew members and Palazzi. Upon returning to the island, Bond reveals to Domino that her brother was killed by Largo and gets her to help him search Disco Volante. However, Largo catches her in the act and has her imprisoned. Meanwhile, Bond replaces one of Largo's men as Spectre prepares to move the bombs and manages to learn where one of them is being moved before being discovered and left behind. Reuniting with Leader, the pair gets the U.S. Coast Guard and U.S. Navy to intercept the Disco Volante crew and recover one of the bombs in an underwater battle. Bond pursues Largo and grabs hold of Disco Volante as she sheds the rear half to become a hydrofoil to escape. Bond gets on deck and sends the Disco Volante out of control while he defeats Largo's men and fights Largo. In an ironic twist, Largo gains the upper hand and is about to shoot Bond when Domino kills Largo with a spear gun and revenge after his hired nuclear physicist frees her. The trio quickly flee Disco Volante barely before its destruction, whereupon uh, the nuclear physicist vanishes and Bond and Domino are retrieved by a plane. Of Thunderball. Uh, we actually do have a guess who, because good lord, does Ian Fleming like writing character descriptions. So let's get right into that in Guess Who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. Been a while since we've done this, so if you don't remember how this works, I'm going to read some character descriptions from the book, and then Katie has to guess who that is. So I don't think you're going to get uh, many of these. You might get one or two. Uh, I will preface this, and this might be helpful. Some, a couple of these are more minor characters, but they have descriptions. Okay. Uh, when I say more minor characters, I mean, yeah, they're, they're not like, you know. There are some that are the main, main characters. I think those are the ones you're most likely to get, but there are some others that are more minor characters, but I included them anyways. So first one. The man was extremely handsome, a dark bronzed woman killer with a neat mustache above the sort of callous mouth women kiss in their dreams. He had regular features that suggested Spanish or South American blood and bold, hard brown eyes that turned up oddly, or as a woman would put it, intriguingly at the corners. 
He was an athletic-looking six-foot, dressed in the sort of casual, well-cut beige herringbone tweed that suggests Anderson and Shepard. He wore a white silk shirt and a dark red polka dot tie, and the dark brown uh, V-necked sweater looked like Vacuna. Bond summed him up in, as a good-looking bastard who got all the women he wanted and probably lived on them and lived well. Okay. Um, also, warning, uh, uh, right now, there's going to be a lot of misogyny throughout this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in these descriptions and uh, other things. I mean, we're going to be lots of stuff. There's a lot of problematic stuff in James Bond. Just a heads up, prepare yourself. Uh, there's nothing like too crazy, but it is, in particular, quite a bit of misogyny. So. Um, okay. So, I don't think that this is the main villain. The high patch man in you the movie. You are correct. It is um, not him. Because he was like older. Yeah. And this description doesn't seem like an older man. Okay. Um, but I do think he's probably a villain just based on like the way that he's described. Perhaps. Okay. Um, so I'm going to guess that this is Count Lippa. You nailed it. Nice. Uh, it's not really what he looks like in the movie, no. particularly. But I yes. actually don't remember what he looks he's, like in the movie. To be fair, barely he's not him. in the movie a ton, and you don't see him much, even yeah. when he is. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's also not in the book that much. He dies, you know, in like chapter five. He's right. killed. But um, but yes, that is Count Lippa. Next up, she was an athletic-looking girl whom Bond would have casually associated with tennis or skating or show jumping. She had the sort of firm, compact figure that always attracted him and a fresh, open-air type of prettiness that would have been commonplace, but for a wide, rather passionate mouth and feminine version of, the, or sorry, and a hint of authority that would be a challenge to men. She was dressed in a feminine version of the white smock worn by Mr. Wayne, and it was clear from the disguised curves of her breasts and hips that she had little on underneath it. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So initially, I think this could have been any woman yes. um, from the movie, but specifically the white smock, I'm going to guess that this is, um, I think her name was Helen, the nurse caretaker lady. Oh, was it? From the It might have been. <clears throat> uh, so yes, it is that character at the health yeah. clinic or whatever. Yes, it is that character. In the book, she's named Patricia, I'm fairly oh, maybe certain. Maybe her name was Patricia. But you might be right. It might have been Helen. I'm not sure. I, I, I actually didn't know uh, what her name was in the film, but yes, uh, it is Patricia in the book, and it is that character. Sick. I'm doing so, great. Yes. That one, again, was once you got to the bottom, was a little bit easier. Uh, Mr. Wayne is not... I actually had a description for him. He's not in the movie. Um, but he's like runs the health mm. resort or whatever. He's like the head head of it. All right. Next one up. His eyes were deep black pools surrounded, totally surrounded as Mussolini's were by very clear whites. The doll-like effect of this unusual symmetry was enhanced by long silken black eyelashes that should have belonged to a woman. The gaze of these soft doll's eyes was totally relaxed and rarely held any expression stronger than a mild curiosity in the object of their focus. They conveyed a restful certitude in their owner and in their analysis of what they observed. To the innocent, they exuded confidence, a wonderful cocoon of confidence in which the, observers, the observed one could rest and relax knowing that he was in comfortable, reliable hands. But they stripped the guilty of the false and made him feel transparent. 
The skin beneath the eyes that now slowly, mildly surveyed his colleagues was unpouched. There was no sign of debauchery, illness, or old age on the large, white, bland face under the square, wiry, black crew cut. The jawline, going to the appropriate middle-aged fat of authority, showed decision and independence. Only the mouth, under a heavy, squat nose, marred what might have been the face of a philosopher or a scientist. Proud and thin, like a badly healed wound, the compressed dark lips, capable only of false, ugly smiles, suggested contempt, tyranny, and cruelty. But to an almost Shakespearean degree, nothing about him was small. Um, this is a bit of a... I'll say... No, I won't say anything. Go ahead. Um, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can think is that maybe this is uh, the main baddie, Eye Patch Man, Largo. Largo. Yeah, is that your guess? Yes. So this is a bit unfair. Um, this is not Largo, but it is the actual main baddie who is briefly in the film. Ah, the Blofeld. man with the cat. That is Blofeld, who is the head of Spectre. Mm -hmm. um, in the film, we don't actually see his face, yeah. so we don't know what he looks like. Uh -huh. uh, so in this, this one, we see cheat. him later. Yes, a little bit. We see him later uh, in, in future movies. From uh, I know we see him at some point. I don't mm -hmm. know what in what context or whatever. But yeah, we don't actually see him in this movie. But that is Blofeld. He was a big, conspicuously handsome man of about 40. He was a Roman, and he looked like a Roman. Not from the Rome of today, but from the Rome of the ancient coins. The large, long face was sunburned, a deep mahogany brown, and the light glinted off the strong, rather hooked nose and the clean-cut lantern jaw that had been meticulously shaved before he had started out late that afternoon. In contrast to the hard, slow-moving brown eyes, the mouth with its thick, rather down-curled lips belonged to a satyr. Ears that, from dead in front, looked almost pointed, added to an animalness that would devastate women. The only weakness in the fine centurion face lay in the overlong sideburns and the too carefully waved black hair that glistened so brightly with pomade that it made almost uh, that it might almost have been painted onto the skull. There was no fat on the big boned frame. He was he had fought for Italy in the Olympic foils. Was almost in or sorry had fought for Italy. Yeah, in the Olympic foils was almost an Olympic class swimmer with the Australian crawl, and only a month before had won the senior class in the Nassau Water Ski Championships. The muscles bulged under the exquisitely cut shark skin jacket. An aid to his athletic prowess were his hands. They were almost twice the normal size, even for a man of his stature. And now, as they walked across the chart holding a ruler and a pair of dividers, they looked extruded from the white sleeves that rested on the white chart almost like large brown furry animals quite separate from their owner what <laughs> um this does not sound like any person i recall from the movie um it's got a chart and a ruler and i don't know what what is a pair of dividers uh i don't know what that is but it's like some sort of tool for using with a, a what he's doing mm. there's one other hint in here that you could pull i think because you're right that for the most part this does not look like the movie character yeah. really like kind of in some aspects but not like a lot of it but there is one particular word or or, or thing that is a, a clue that i think is where the movie pulled an aspect of this character for the film Hmm. He's good at swimming. Mm. 
that's another one, but I'm that wasn't not, what I was thinking of. Okay. That is a, he, that is a that is a clue, but it's not what I was thinking. He's of. He's from Italy. That's also kind of a clue, but also not what I was thinking of. I mean, there are again, there's several things that do apply <laughs> to him. There was one thing in particular that to me. But anyways. Oh, he's got a shark skin jacket. This is Largo. Yes, this is Largo. <laughs> the shark skin jacket was what I was thinking of because, uh, yeah, in the movie he has sharks. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, obviously a lot of this looks very different. He is a big man, like in the movie, he's like a large right. guy, but uh, and, a, and a good swimmer. It would we would assume based on. It seemed like he yes. was pretty good at swimming. Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, you know, like the hair and stuff is right. not, and and there's no mention, obviously, of an eye patch here, which yeah was kind of his defining characteristic in the film. So. All right, next one. Uh, two more here. Next one. He was a man she hadn't seen before in Nassau. He was about six feet tall and somewhere in his middle 30s. He had dark, rather cruel good looks and very clear blue-gray eyes that were now observing her, observing her inspection sardonically. A scar down his right cheek showed pale against a tan so mild that we'd have, he would have only recently come to the island. He was wearing a very dark blue, lightweight, single-breasted suit over a cream silk shirt and a black knitted silk tie. Despite the heat, he looked cool and clean, and his only concession to the tropics appeared to be the black saddle-stitched sandals on his bare feet. Is this Bond? This is Bond. Nice. We actually get a description of Bond in this one uh, from Domino's perspective. So, And then finally, strap yourselves in for this one. You'll get this one. <laughs> She wore a gondolier's broad-rimmed straw hat tilted imprudently down her nose. She had a gay to hell or she had a gay to hell with you face that Bond thought would become animal in passion. In bed she would fight and bite and then suddenly melt into hot surrender. He would almost see he could almost see the proud sensual mouth bear away from the even white teeth in a snarl of desire and then afterwards soften into a half pout of loving slavery. In profile, the eyes were soft charcoal slits such as you see on some birds, but in the shop Bond had seen them full face. Then they had been fierce and direct with a golden flicker in the dark brown that held much the same message as the mouth. The profile, the straight, small, uplifted nose, the determined set of the chin, and the clean-cut sweep of the jawline were as decisive as a royal command, and the way the head was set on the neck had the same authority, the poise one associates with imagery of princesses. Two features modified the clean-cut purity of line. A soft, muddled uh, Bridget Bardot haircut that escaped from under the straw hat in endearing disarray, and two deeply cut but soft dimples which could only have been etched by a sweet, if rather ironic smile that Bond had not yet seen. The sunburn was not overdone, and her skin had none of that dried, exhausted sheen that can turn the texture of even the youngest skin into something more like parchment. Beneath the gold, there was an earthy warmth in her cheeks that suggested a good, healthy peasant strain from the Italian Alps and her breasts, high riding and deeply veed, were from the same stock. The general impression, Bond decided, was of a willful, high-tempered, sensual girl, a beautiful Arab mare who would only allow herself to be ridden by a horseman with steel thighs and velvet hands, and then only with curb and saw bit, and then only when he had broken her to bridle and saddle. Bond thought that he would like to try his strength against hers. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, was the entire book this 
horny? Mm, when yeah, when to describing women, yeah. I mean, like it's so yeah, whenever a woman comes up it is this horny all the time. Yes. It, this is almost smut like at times. Like yeah. it, it's at, without the smut. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it, it it's smut in its descriptions, but but when there's like sex, you don't actually get any descriptions of the sex. We kind of like fade to black. Right. So Um so this is Domino. Yes, this I is assume. Domino. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, and 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 in particular, uh, his Fleming's descriptions of characters are all like this. They're mm-hmm. just pages. Like they're they go on forever. Mm. Um, and I, I, no, I don't dislike a lot of you know like I, it, it definitely lets you kind of build the character. And the prose itself, I think, is mostly evocative in a way that's it's nice if you disregard like the. <laughs> the like the grossness of, of some of it um but yeah okay so uh, i think you got what one two three four you got four of the six i think so not bad nice. better better than i thought all right that's it for that katie has quite a few questions so we're going to get into those in was that in the book nicholas flamel is the only known maker of the philosopher's stone the what Honestly, don't you two read? So this movie opens in media res mm-hmm. uh, at a funeral and a bond and an unnamed woman Some, yeah. are at a funeral. Um, and there's a, a mysterious veiled woman, presumably a widow. Yep. And I wanted to know if the book opened the same way. It does not. The book just opens with bond waking up, recovering from a night of drinking and gambling Nice. Uh, but I believe most, if not all, of the Bond films start like this, with Bond like finishing up some other assignment or doing something that ends up being related to his current assignment. Uh, basically, the movies just all open with like an action scene of some sort, even mm-hmm. if it's not like this one's not a particularly like intense action scene. But there is, you know, there's some there's a little bit of a the, the jetpack and some fighting right. and stuff, you know. Um, so the movie, I think they just want to start on the opening action Pete scene. None of this is from the book at all. And I do think I prefer the book's kind of more restrained opening personally. Uh, and uh, in particular, cause I'm just not a big fan of this opening. It's, it gives you no context for what's going on. You don't yeah. know who these characters are or like why, you know what I mean? And on top of that, the fight and like the, the jetpack, I understand why it was like a thing that would excite audiences then, but it just kind of looks cheesy by today's standards and stuff. Um, there are some movies that are, you know, like, like Casino Royale, the new one opens with like a big crazy action set piece that is super intense and like engaging and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't mind it in those regards in this one. I, I wish they had just gone with the books opening, which again is just Bond waking up hungover and being like, Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, kind of sets the tone for his, his journey in this book, which I, I thought it was interesting. So okay, well, that kind of uh, yes. negates my next two questions. Um, but the the next thing that we find out in the scene as he's fighting uh, this person is that what we thought was uh, the the widow and her her veil is actually the widow um, arrives home and yes. Bond is waiting. Yes, um, and it's actually um, the man who was presumed to be dead. Yes, in a disguise. Yeah. Uh, so that it, it, that is a member of Spectre who uh, who like you said was supposedly dead, but turns out was pretending to be his grieving wife or girlfriend or whatever mm-hmm. uh, in order to trick Bond to kill him, basically. Gotcha. Uh, so this was all a scheme. Um, 
And I don't know in the movies at this point if they're aware of what Spectre is, but in the books, and again, this would be confusing because in the books, this is the introduction of Spectre. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before this, there's been other organizations. There's like an organization called Smirsh, which is like a Russian Mm -hmm. criminal organization or whatever. Um, But this is the introduction of Spectre in the books. I don't know in the movies because of the timeline. They may have introduced Spectre prior to this in the movies. It wouldn't surprise me if they had. Um, so it's also possible. I don't think this is related to the ending of Goldfinger in any way, but it could be. It's been so long since I've seen Goldfinger. I don't. And normally that's not the case. Like normally the end of the last movie doesn't like directly lead in. Mm-hmm. But there is a chance that maybe like something to do with the end of Goldfinger led into this opening. I doubt it, but it's possible. Again, I just haven't seen Goldfinger in so long that I, I'm not sure. Yeah. My guess would be that it's not related. It's just, again, because that's usually how they open is he's just on some case doing something. Yeah. And then we get in and we get that opening and then we get into the actual like story we're going to be doing. So I gotcha. Um, but I, I did kind of like the way that the scene ended, though, because <laughs> yeah. he he kills this guy. Right. He like beats him to death. And then as he's about to run out of the room because uh, all of his henchmen are like breaking down the door to get to him. He grabs a vase of flowers and like throws the flowers over his corpse. Yeah. Runs out. And then he gets his jetpack yeah. that you mentioned earlier. He flies away. And I was like, oh, cool. He's going to get away on his jetpack. Yeah. But then he flies and he only goes like a block away. Yeah. <laughs> he lands and they're like chasing him. Yeah. That was just to get the <laughs> jetpack in the movie. Uh, and also the range of that jetpack is not particularly far from my knowledge. You can fly it for like 45 seconds or right. something like that. And then you have to recharge, like refill it or whatever. Um, yeah. Again, obviously now this is in the book, but uh, it's it is also kind of a I, I don't know. My only experience with Bond as a character from the books is this book. It's the only one I've read. So I don't know how in line with the throwing the flowers on the body is with the Bond from the books. It's not super in line with this character in this book necessarily. Mm-hmm. But in the movies, that is Bond to a T. He's like very cheeky. He he always is quipping and doing silly stuff like that. That's The movies, again, compared to this book, this movie is, and it seems like all the movies are a little bit sillier, a little more playful mm-hmm. than the books are, which are not, not like, don't lack any of that. Like, there are moments of that in the book, but the movies definitely amplify it, from, again, from this one book yeah. that I've read. Um, but that, that that flowers, throwing the flowers on his body is very much in line with the, yeah, with the thing like, Bond would do. It's almost campy. It is. Oh, and <laughs> some of these movies are very camp. And the, the, uh, <laughs> they get... And I, as a kid, uh, the less campy movies were always the ones I liked more. Mm-hmm. Um, the modern Bond movies are, like, not camp at all. Right. Um, they're, like, very serious, but they're also very good. Um, or at least the ones I've seen. I've only seen the first three. But the older Bonds, they fluctuate between how campy they are. Some of them are, like, crazy over-the-top camp, and some of them are a lot more serious. This one's kind of in the middle, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's definitely fits, and I, that was another thing that the green screen when he's putting on the helmet for the jetpack is like mm-hmm. that classic terrible '60s compositing. <laughs> it looks so bad. It's and there's a handful of shots like that in this movie when otherwise a lot of the effects are like practical and stuff. That that in particular, him putting on that helmet was very funny to me. 
And that might have had to be a pickup shot because we in the prequel there was I did some research. The person who was flying the jetpack, mm-hmm. they may have filmed like the all of that Bond stuff, uh, like the fight and stuff before the jetpack thing. And then the person who flew the jetpack apparently refused. They initially wanted him to do it without the helmet, but he wouldn't do it without a helmet. He's like, no, yeah. I'm wearing a helmet to yeah. do this. And so I'm thinking they may have had to go back and add uh, the shot of Bond of putting, putting on the, the helmet, helmet so yeah. that he had a helmet on when you see the stunt guy fly the right. jetpack or whatever. And so that might be why it's a composite, would be my guess. But. <laughs> well, I'm glad the stuntman wanted to wear a helmet. Yes. And it's not even a stuntman. It's literally like there at the time there was like two people. He's a like stuntman specifically for that yeah. thing. There's like two people that could fly that jetpack right. in the world or whatever. So yeah, he was not just like a generic stuntman that also flew that jetpack. It was like a jetpack pilot. <laughs> <laughs> um. So following this, we're introduced to uh, our hive of villainy. Yes. Um. And we meet. Yeah, we meet our our main bad guy for this movie, yes. Largo, and he has an eye patch, which is classic and iconic. Yeah. And I guess I have my answer, but I'm still going to ask if yeah. he has an eye patch in the book. Yeah, like like uh, like you said, we've done the guess who at this point, so we we know the answer, but no, Largo does not have an eye patch in the book. Or at least it's not described. That's it too doesn't bad. say you couldn't he couldn't have one. It's uh, just not yeah. mentioned. But with the detail that right. Fleming goes into. <laughs> you would think it, it would be mentioned. It would probably come up. It yeah. would probably be made of shark skin. Yes. Um, so it, he goes into Spectre and we see that whole deal. Um, and then we see the big, big bad. Yes. The faceless villain. Blofeld. Which I don't recall that they mention his name. They probably don't, one. but his name yeah, is Blofeld. But we see him um, and we can't see his face and he's sitting in a chair and he's stroking a, a fluffy white cat. Yes. Um, and so I've got two questions here. One is there a faceless villain petting a cat in this book? And two, is this the origin of that trope? So as far as I'm aware, this is the origin of that trope. I don't know for sure. It mm-hmm. may go back further than this, but this is the one that is parodied the most, like in Austin Powers and like a lot of modern stuff. When you have the villain stroking the cat, yeah, that is a parody of Blofeld uh, from the Bond movies. Again, there may be something previous to this I'm unaware of, but as far as I know, this is the origin of that. This is also something I like more in the movie because in the book, there is no mention of a cat. Blofeld mm-hmm. does not have a cat, at least in this book. Mm-hmm. Again, I have not read any others. There may be in future books. He maybe has a cat at some point. But in this book, he does not have a cat. He's just a guy uh, hanging out. He's just the the, dude, the description I read is the whole description we get. And there's never a mention of a cat. So. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's something I like more in the book. The evil cat. I mean, or in the movie, that's a. I mean, the birth of a classic trope. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So then uh, all of the uh, Spectre agents are reporting on their nefarious deeds to uh, Blofeld. And he accuses one of them of embezzling. Mm -hmm. Or I guess maybe he knows for sure that this guy was embezzling. Um, And then he just... Straight up murks this guy in the middle of the meeting, and then his his chair like go he goes down into the floor, <laughs> and then his chair like comes back up out of the floor smoking. Yeah, and then they continue their meeting, and I'm wondering if any of that is from the book. Kind of, yes. I mean, mostly, yes. He does electrocute a guy. Blofeld does electrocute a guy, 
which I think is what the movie's going for. You said blow up, but he yeah. he electrocutes him. Uh, in the in the movie, it's uh, mentioned or in the book, it's mentioned that they're like electric. They're like he wired the chair, basically, mm-hmm. um, to have like be like an electric chair, essentially. Um, but there are not they do not have automatic disposal chairs, the chair that <laughs> that drops down into the floor and, and then he comes back up smoking. That is not in the book at all. Um, and this is actually something I prefer in the book. Um, just this whole scene in general where he uh, the specter meeting that we see in the film. Because the scene where he kills the specter agent is just way more interesting and brutal. So in the movie, it's described that like they're embezzling this guy. Mm-hmm. He thinks he accuses he accuses one guy of embezzling and then uh, executes a different guy yeah. who was actually doing it or whatever. In the movie it, or in the book, it's not embezzling. It's that on their last mission, they they kidnapped some young like rich couples some couples like rich like teenage daughter or something Mm -hmm. like that um and it comes back and blofeld finds finds out that that the daughter had been raped basically yeah while in the custody of these people or and and this is the russians i believe i can't remember who it is but one of these members of specter which specter is made up of a bunch of different groups of like it's like the Italian mafia, the Russian mafia. It's like all these like groups of like organized crime from different countries are have all like send people to become part of Spectre to be like this. They're like this super group <laughs> of, <laughs> of bad guys or whatever. Um. Anyway, so uh, this 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 girl that they had kidnapped uh, w- was uh, sexually assaulted. Um. And one of the guys implies that she had consented to it, but Blofeld does not care about this at all. And actually, the thing that's really interesting is that we find out Blofeld is talking through all this, and 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 like in the movie, he calls out this one guy. He he has like number. They all have numbers, and he has right. like number ten stand up or whatever. And he has ten stand up. And he's talking to him and he's like going through like what all happened. And he's like, and I, I, he, he tells, he says that he actually gave the parents half of the money back because mm-hmm. of this, hmm. even though, uh, and, and he's like, despite the fact that there was a tracker in the money and they had like warned the family not to go to the, or not to do that or whatever. But he's like, but that, that surely the tracker wasn't their choice. That was something the, asshole cops did or whatever basically like he's like a he's like a criminal with like a code basically like (laughs) it's just kind of what the um what the book is implying like he's like he knew the cops put that tracker in there without really asking the family so he doesn't hold that against the family he gives them back half the money they gave him for them for ransom because of what happened to their daughter and then so yeah he has that's what it is he has seven stand up and it's like is is like kind of accusing him, but he's like, but I know who actually did it. And then he electrocutes number twelve, who's still sitting in his chair. Mm. Um, and the thing that's really interesting, the other thing that's really interesting about this scene is that none of uh, none of the other people are like worried about this. In particular, like the guy he has stand up and calls out, like doesn't even blink and is and is like completely trusting. They all completely trust Blowfield's like that that he will make that he he is always right and that he knows what to do and he will mete out justice like accurately oh. and so literally like this guy who he has stand up and is saying all this stuff to knows he's not in danger because he knows he didn't do anything wrong and so he just stands there and like lets Blofeld go on this big thing and then when he kills the other guy he's like yep and then this sits down and I thought that was super fascinating this idea that like this this big evil villain like they all implicitly trust him Mm -hmm. to like 
be like moral in a weird yeah immoral way like it's very fascinating <laughs> uh, and then on top of that just the description of the guy dying is like horrifying in the um <laughs> in the book the body of Pierce Burrard seized in the iron fist of 3000 volts arced in the armchair as if it as if it had been kicked in the face or kicked in the back the rough mat of black hair rose sharply straight up on his head and remained upright, a gollywog fringe for the contorted, bursting face. The eyes glared wildly and then faded. A blackened tongue slowly protruded between the snarling teeth and remained hideously extended. Thin wisps of smoke rose from under the hands, from the middle of the back, and from under the thighs where the concealed electrodes in the chair had made contact. Blowfield... Or Blofeld pulled back the switch. The lights in the room that had dimmed to orange, making a dull supernatural glow, brightened to normal. The roasted meat and burned fabric smell spread slowly. The body of number 12 crumpled horribly. There was a sharp crack as the chin hit the edge of the table. It was all over. <laughs> and then they just leave him there the rest of the meeting. <laughs> they just leave his body there Ugh, the rest of the tasty. meeting. Tasty. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so following this scene uh, where we find out about the villain's plan um we catch back up with bond who is at this like health resort um and people keep telling him that he's not supposed to be working um is he like on vacation at a, at a health resort in the book yes kind of so this is one of my biggest complaints with the movie is that it doesn't really care to set up some of the important things that are happening in the film uh, mm -hmm. I talk about I'll talk more about this later and especially my final verdict. But the the, the movie is very much like a, a kind of like a bits and pieces pulled out of the book without much of the connective tissue and explanation of why we're going where we are mm -hmm. that we get in the book. In the movie, a bond appears to be at the health clinic because of the injury he got in the fight in the opening of the movie. Right. Which isn't the worst explanation in the world, but it's actually much more interesting in the book. In the book, he's there because he had a physical and um, he was fine, like he was healthy, but there was a few things that on there that they were like, you got to get this sorted. And it's that he smokes and drinks way too much <laughs> and that he has a, he's like on the edge of being too unhealthy or, or he's on the edge of of it being a problem to like his physical fitness for uh -huh. the thing. So M, who is who M runs the whole which who we see in this movie when he goes into the, the meeting with all the double O's, right. he's like the main guy. We see him a couple times in this movie. Um, later in the current films, at, or since uh, all the Pierce Brosnan movies forward, that's played by Judy Dench. And is, mm -hmm. um, but in this one, M sends him to the Shrublands Health Resort because M has also gone to the same health resort, and we find out that M is like a weird, like woo guy. Oh. <laughs> I have more notes about this in a little bit, but like M's like a weird woo guy who's like, you got to go to this health resort; it'll set you right. You got to detox. You got to do all this stuff. Now, to be fair, Bond has a horrible and i have notes about this later he has a horrible lifestyle <laughs> like he, he does need something but uh we'll get into it but yeah he, he is sent to this clinic because he's like close to not being fit for service basically and mm -hmm. they're like trying to like jumpstart him to like make sure he's good enough to go basically mm. and that's why he's here it's not because he has like a, this, a specific injury or anything like that it's it's because his physical didn't go great <laughs> and he needs to he needs to <laughs> detox essentially. Um. So obviously, though, he can't help himself from working while he's at this resort. Um. And he meets um, is it Count Lippa that yeah. has like the the tattoo, the tattoo on yes. his hand, which I don't think ever came back. Uh, it only comes the... back and Bond makes a phone call to ask about it. Right. And then that 
in the book at least, and I think maybe in the movie, that spurs Lippa attacking him. In the book, Lippa overhears Bond making that phone call. Mm. Uh, and Bond realizes he was careless when he made that phone call. It's like, shit, I bet somebody heard me. Yeah. And Lippa hears him and hears him. And that and that's why he ends up attacking him. Um, but yeah, it's that that's the extent of it. It's just he he's like realizes he's part of like a, a gang, like a mm. criminal organization. Right. So he he sees him um, and Count Lippa strikes Bond as a suspicious character. So he's doing some snooping around mm-hmm. and he goes into his like suite, suite yeah. there and is is snooping and there's a man in there who has apparently had like total facial reconstruction surgery he's all bandaged up um but what i want to know is when bond is leaving the suite when he's sneaking out does he steal a single grape from the fruit bowl no, uh, that scene does not take place in the book and he does not steal a grape or anything like that. Again, I, I do think that that fits fairly well with his character, particularly in the movies that is Bond to a T in the films. Uh, and I think even to some extent, if it's his character in the books, he's just not quite as playful, mm. at least in this book. He's not quite as like playful and like, you know, fun as he is in the movies, I would say. He is like it's not I'm not saying it's not there. It's definitely there. But that kind of stuff is a little is like a little level above what the bond we get in the book, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very much in line with every bond portrayal in like all the movies. Um, so, so he goes back to his treatment, um, and the, the caregiver nurse lady straps him into this machine that is basically a rack. Yes. Um, he called the chapter yeah. is called the rack and in the book. <laughs> it's like to, to stretch his spine. Yes. Again, this is like a woo clinic. So right. they do like nonsense treatments. Yeah. Um, and then we don't see who it is in the movie, but somebody comes in and tries to kill him by cranking this machine up to high. So it's like, well, we see who it is cause we see the tattoo, but right. But we don't, we don't see their face. Yeah. 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 So they set the machine to high. So it's like, Pulling and yes. stretching him. Yeah. Is that from the book? Yes. That scene is like nearly identical. Uh, like literally like the dialogue. It like she puts him on the machine, sets it to like 120. And then mm-hmm. it's like, I'll be back in 30 minutes or whatever. And then somebody else comes in, turns it up like all the way to the top. And then Bond like, yeah, almost dies. Yeah. Basically. But yes, it's like all identical. Um, And I and then in the movie, he afterwards, he he just immediately has sex. Yeah, he gets up with, and, he, yeah. He, and, and he's like ready to go. And I don't know how how could the man possibly have sex after that? So that's where the book is better, in my opinion, because in the book, he literally blacks out and almost dies. Yeah. And wakes up like the next day in like a bed, like being treated <laughs> like he he it is not he is not just like fine afterwards, like it literally almost kills him in the book. Um, uh, Patricia, who is the caregiver in the book, she actually like has to inject him with something. They say some chemical or I don't mm-hmm. know what it does or what he needed, but she has to inject him with something to like save him to do something. And then, uh, yeah, he spends like several days recovering. Yeah. And and there's like a whole discussion about like he talks to the like the owner of the club and they're like they're worried he's going to like mention it or sue them. And like there it becomes <laughs> this whole thing. And there he he ends up not saying anything. And he actually does go along with the lie that he did it himself, like accidentally, mm-hmm. uh, just so that he can investigate 
Like yeah. he doesn't say he doesn't tell him like, oh, some guy came in and did it because he doesn't want them to know. He wants right. to go deal with that himself or whatever. But yeah, no, he, he does not immediately go have sex in the book. He almost dies in the book. <laughs> um, so I mentioned facial reconstruction surgery, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find out that this is part of Spectre's plot to steal the uh, the nuclear weapons. And they they hired this man to basically become this pilot yeah um right down to like total facial reconstruction yeah uh, is that from the book no and i hate this change a lot i do not understand <laughs> its purpose i will talk more about this later uh and better in the book um but there is no face swapping or anything like that uh specter just recruits so the character that they face swap and kill mm-hmm. like the guy they kill um and then the other guy like co- like gets construct plastic surgery to copy his face. In the book, they just recruit the first guy, the pilot. Like, right. They just recruit yeah. him and basically bribe him, offer him a bunch of money to steal the plane. And it, it, there's some other stuff going on there again, which I'll talk about later. But it's I do not understand why they added this, other than they thought it was like more interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's an extra like wrinkle of intrigue yeah and like spy movie stuff and maybe maybe there's something to do i don't know and maybe they wanted the pilot to be like like an innocent like a noble figure i will say i think maybe that is part of it is that they wanted in the movie um we find out right at the beginning that it is domino's brother Mm -hmm. and they maybe wanted him to be innocent I hate that. It's so much more interesting in the book. We'll get to it. I don't. It's a terrible change in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, it's so stupid. Um, literally no no reason to do it. Uh, again, I guess it kind of like streamlines some of the stuff later, but whatever. It's it's dumb. I don't like it. Well, so so this guy um, that they've hired to do this, he ends up trying to demand more money. Which honestly, I get because yeah. you you changed your face and everything. I I would want a lot of money as well, um, but he so he demands more money and the evil redheaded lady will get to her. Uh, I think I have a question about her later. Yeah, um, Fiona. Yeah, she's just like yeah, sure, we'll we'll give you more money. And and as soon as she said that, I was like, oh no, this guy's dead. He just signed his own death warrant. Mm-hmm. Um and. He does, in fact, die. Uh, Eye Patch Man. Largo. Largo. I, I called him Eye Patch Man the entire time yeah. because I did not catch his name until like three quarters into the movie. It's fair. Um, I knew almost no one's name. No, that, that is fair. Movie. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so he, when the when the plane is underwater, he's trying to get out of his seatbelt and uh, Largo just swims over and cuts his breathing tube so that he drowns uh does that happen in the book uh so the pilot is killed in the book but uh it's it's better in the book all around to me one we don't have the weird convoluted plot with it being some bad guy that agreed Mm -hmm. to get his face changed um but it's also it's unrelated to him asking for more money so in the book the guy does not ask for more money Mm -hmm. uh the pilot is just the actual pilot that they recruit um, he does not ask for more money, uh, at least from my memory. Um, they just kill him because they were always going to kill him to right. get rid of loose ends. Like he was Fair. just he was just a guy that was not part of the criminal organization. He's just some random guy who they needed because he had access to fly the plane. 
and or he, he had access to get on the plane because of his position within this he's like part of nato or whatever mm-hmm. and goes on these missions uh and they needed him for that and they were just always going to kill him because they didn't want him to be able to rat them out or whatever basically um so that's one way that's better uh, whatever i mean ask for money and killing him because of that maybe is uh, i think maybe even in the book maybe even in the movie they were going to kill him either way maybe it didn't matter that he asked for money more money maybe they were going to kill him regardless who knows um but the other thing is that it, the way they kill him in the book is just way better as you mentioned in the movie he's like stuck in the thing and largo mm-hmm. comes down and like cuts his oxygen hose or whatever and he just like suffocates in the book he lands the plane the plane doesn't actually sink initially it like sits and floats on top of the water for a bit which is how it actually would be like it, it right because like you know the landing on the hudson or whatever the plane like it'll float for a while before it actually sinks so he lands it in the and then uh he actually walks out on the wing and largo and all the and and his crew show up on the boat and they walk out on the wing and largo i believe it's largo walks up to him and the guy like makes a joke he's like yeah i got a got your nuclear plane here you got a sign on the line to take mm-hmm. like he like tries to make a joke and largo just walks up and like shakes his hand and then stabs him in the brain like he uh-huh. like pulls a knife out and stabs him up through the yeah. bottom of his like chin into his brain and just kills him <laughs> And then just throws him into the water. It's like way more brutal uh-huh. uh, and terrifying. And I think it again, it's it's just because. And again, part of that is these movies are a little more like PG, yeah, like PG thirteen, which they're probably PG because this is before PG thirteen. But they can't go that like brutal right. in yeah, their yeah, violence. Yeah. But yeah, that in the book, he's killed in just like a way more brutal way that I thought was way more interesting. But but he does die. <laughs> Does Bond at any point refer to himself as a licensed troubleshooter in the book? So I, I had I found an online version of this book and I did a quick search and I was not able to find that anywhere. I also did not recall that line anywhere. It's a good line. It may mm. come from another book. Yeah. Again, at this point, like several other books have been out when right. making this movie and stuff like that. So I don't know if it may come from a different book, but it is not in this book. Okay. But it is a good line. Another uh, line or exchange, really, that I was wondering about. Uh, so when Bond meets Domino in this movie, um, they're out on the water and he says to her, you swim like a man. Uh, and she fires right back. So do you. Yeah. Uh, is that from the book? It is not. Boo. Um, but. He does think to himself in the book that Domino drives like a man. Mm. So I think it might be a reference to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they first meet, uh, he like gets in the car with her and she's taking him somewhere and she's a very aggressive driver and Bond is like impressed. Uh, and he thinks to himself that she drives like a man. Um, uh, there's a, at one point she like very deftly like cuts off a horse drawn carriage and then hops out of the, she gets out of the car without opening the door. She like, she like slop flips over the 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 door or whatever um and then she starts shit talking the carriage driver and both bond and the carriage driver are like both very into it they're both like very like turned on by this uh but no she does yeah the swimming part no but he does say you drive well and again he doesn't say it he just thinks that she drives like a man Hmm. so oh so more on the driving of men and women later boy that's a fun one oh good I can't wait. <laughs> um, so there's a scene in the movie where he Bond meets Largo 
Uh, and I believe this is the first time they interact at the casino. Uh, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're at a casino and they're playing poker. I guess. No, no. I, I mean it's it's a it's a card game. And they're playing it's a card a, game. Yeah, some card game that you I'll, play at casinos. Yeah. Um, and Bond is just talking to him and he's like trying to get a reaction out of him and he just keeps using like finding excuses to use the word specter while he's talking to him um does that come from the book yes uh this scene happens later in the book than it does in the movie like they've already met quite a few times at this point in the book when this scene happens in the casino but yes uh bond does keep saying specter to him to see, to like see if he reacts at all to like because at this point in the book he is completely unsure and i think even in the movie mm -hmm. he's unsure if largo is involved in any of this or like if he's part of specter or knows what it is or any of that sort of things so he keeps saying specter to like try to get a rise try to get a reaction to like see if he thinks that largo is uh is in on this plan or whatever. Uh, but again, that whole casino scene is pretty similar down to them playing. They're actually playing uh, in the book. It's called, uh, they call it a uh, Chemin de Fer, mm -hmm. but it's apparently a type of Baccarat, mm. which Baccarat is like the classic bond card game. It's ah. like a European uh, it's played. Mo it's not really played in America much at all. Uh, it's primarily played in like Europe. And I, I think I read like South America and stuff like that. It's just a type of card game. I think it can it's, it's a French game originally. Um, but it's just a, it's a specific type of card game that uh, that Bond plays a lot in Bond movies for whatever reason. He also plays poker, but <laughs> uh, plays a lot of Baccarat, uh, which is funny because, I, like I said, I don't think I've ever seen Baccarat played in real life. Or yeah. I have no idea how it's played. And when I read it in the book, it's very confusing. But anyways, um, one addition that I like in the movie that is not in the book is that in the movie, I think that it's implied that uh, Felix Leiter is the dealer during this game and that mm. Bond has fixed the game. Ah. Because as he's walking away, she's, I think Domino says, like, hopefully his luck will change. And Bond's like, I don't think it will or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and with the camera kind of lingers on the dealer, and I'm pretty sure that's Leiter. It's hard okay. to tell because he's wearing, like, glasses or sunglasses yeah. or something like that. Uh, in the book, he seemingly just wins because he's very lucky. Um, for the first couple hands and then on the third hand he does bluff uh he does bluff um mm -hmm. uh largo and that's how he wins the third hand and wins most of the money but it, yeah other, before that he just seemingly gets very lucky and just beats him a couple times but i did like in the movie that it, it seems like lighter is like doing something mm -hmm. although in baccarat i don't know if you can it's more complicated because the cards, I don't know how it works because they pass the cards around and the players can deal and stuff. And then the, the oh. person who would traditionally be the dealer in like a casino actually just like does the chips. I don't know. It's complicated. I don't huh. know. I don't understand how Baccarat works yeah. or Chemin de Fer or whatever the fuck, which yeah. apparently Chemin de Fer is just a variation of Baccarat is what I was reading because I was trying to figure out what the hell. Because in the book, it just says they're playing Chemin de Fer. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's Baccarat. I've heard of that at least. <laughs> Um, so after the scene, Bond goes back to his hotel room and he walks in uh, and he flips open the phone book where we can see that he's hidden a tape recorder and he plays this tape recorder and uses it. I thought the scene was kind of cool. Um, he uses it to like figure out like he can hear somebody walking um, and he like 
traces their footsteps into the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, is any of that from the book? It is not. Um, I also like that scene. And I will say it is in line with a, like some of the, the like kind of detective work Bond does in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's like a very clever, I mean, obviously, uh, secret agent in the books. Um, and there's some scenes and some other parts of the book that I'll talk about later that don't make it into the movie where we kind of see how brilliant he is. Um, and like his schemes and stuff. Uh, but this one is not from the book. Uh, and specifically getting to the tape recorder, which is not that particularly interesting of a gadget, but right. uh, we'll get to the gadgets later. At least in this book, there are, were far fewer gadgets and like way less focus on them than there are, is in like all the Bond movies. Like that's a big component of the Bond movies is like the gadgets or whatever. I will say I kind of expected that. I figured that was maybe a thing the movies played up more. Uh, and it is. Um, and again, not that this one in particularly fits into that because this is a tape recorder. But um, but no, this does not come from the book. Hmm. But um, it is a good scene. It, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we meet uh, Lighter, who is Bond's CIA friend. They yes. say he's from his like he a CIA. He's his contact. Uh, yeah. Yeah. His CIA partner guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought was fun because I didn't realize that they did like CIA crossovers. Oh yeah. Felix Leiter is in a ton of the stories Mm. as his like CIA buddy. Okay. So, so So he is from the books. Does he look, is he dressed like he's from Miami vice in the books? Cause that cracked me up in the movie. It also cracked me up in the movie. And this book doesn't really have a description of Leiter. I went back and checked. Uh, it, although it does mention that he has a hook hand, that is the what? only yes. That is <laughs> Why the would only, the movie leave that out? It does. I will say, in some of these early movies, uh, he does have a hook hand from my memory. In some huh. of the variations, I think it may be in the Roger Moore ones. Uh-huh. Lighter might have a hook hand, um, but uh, also from my memory, he is pretty consistently dressed like that in mm-hmm. these early Bond movies. I don't recall. Uh, in the in the newer ones, he's played by I can't remember the guy's name. Um, great actor, uh, but he doesn't he doesn't have a hook hand and he doesn't dress. He just dresses like Bond, like he's like oh, a cool boring. Like, sp- sure, but he's a much more interesting. I like Felix Leiter a lot in the new movies. Um, but anyways, he uh, yeah, he does seemingly dress like that in kind of all of the the early movies from my memory. And the other thing that's interesting in this one, I was listening to the audiobook for some of this and the guy who did the audiobook, which I'm not, I have no idea when the audiobook was, was recorded for this. It was on CD. So mm-hmm. probably quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does like a very Southern accent for Felix Leiter. He's like, oh, he, he almost sounds like, like, like a uh, foghorn leghorn or something. He's <laughs> like, Bond, you gotta get over to the bird. He like does a very Southern <laughs> accent for Felix Leiter, which I thought was very funny. Um, but yeah, I, uh, that cracks me up too, that the, in the movie, they're like, okay, the American guy dresses like a clown. Like he just, <laughs> like Bond is wearing like suits and very fashionable, like European swimwear and stuff. And then Felix Leiter is like in a, like the most garish Hawaiian like shirt you've ever <laughs> seen. And like it just, he looks ridiculous all the time. It's really too bad that you didn't and have get to include a description of him in Guess Who because the hook hand would have really. Yeah thrown that's me. literally the only thing that it mentions about his about his appearance is that he has a hook hand in this book again <laughs> he's been in earlier books so i'm thinking maybe in some of the earlier ones he got a description but he does not have one in this one uh, okay so uh the evil red-headed lady yes. of fiona fiona volpe was her name um and we met her earlier 
Um, but now in in this particular scene, Bond, I guess, doesn't know who she is initially and yeah. gets in the car with her. He like he gets a lift from her. Yeah. And she drives super fast yeah. to try and scare him. And yeah. I think he was scared. Yeah. He looked nervous. A little nervous. Yeah. A little nervous. Is any of that from the book? No. So Fiona is not in this book at all. Uh, she may be from a different book. I don't know, but uh-huh. she is not in this book at all. And I believe she in this movie, she's Spectre 6, Spectre number 6, I think they say, or 7 or something like that. She's one of the Spectre agents. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not in the book at all. Uh, I quite enjoy, enjoyed her character in the film. I think she's a fun uh, like foil for Bond as the evil, sexy spy lady. Mm-hmm. Like I think she plays off Bond well. Uh, and was enjoyable. Um, I, I think the closest thing to this scene is, again, when Bond meets Domino for the first time. She's a very, like, I think they kind of took some of that. And yeah. Because she's like, a, I, don't, I don't know if it's ever specifically described that Domino is, like, driving around at, like, 120 miles an hour. But she's a very assertive and, like, aggressive driver. Yeah. And, again, Bond is, like, into that in the book. Um, so I think maybe that's some of what they're pulling. But you're right. He does seem kind of, like, uh, a little nervous in the in the film, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, she's not, not in the book. Um, so then there's a whole scene in the movie where Bond goes to Largo's estate as like a guest. Yeah. And just like has lunch and chills with him for an afternoon. Yeah. And I was a bit perplexed by this because it seemed like they both knew who the other <laughs> yes. was. And I didn't really understand the purpose other than like showing us the pool of sharks. Yeah. So he, he does kind of, he goes to Palmyra in the book, which is um, uh, Largo's like estate or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's much better in the book. Cause in the book, neither of them know who the other one is when all of this is happening. Yeah. In the book bond has a cover story. And Largo buys it. In the book, Bond um, Bond is pretending to be uh, just like a rich investor who wants to buy the Palmyra, the, the yeah. house that Largo is staying at. Um, he wants to buy it, basically. So he goes to visit because he's interested in buying it or whatever. Um, and Largo buys this hook, line, and sinker. Like, Largo fully believes that Bond is just some guy yeah. who's like some rich guy who wants to buy this house or whatever. And Bond has suspicions about Largo, but he does not know for sure that he is obvious, like definitely mm-hmm. like part of Spectre and like the guy he's looking for and like running. This so he's whole... like investigating. He's him. investigating. Yeah. So to me in the book, that just wakes, makes way more sense. Yeah. Why they kind of have these interactions because they have several interactions like that in the book. Like one time he goes on the yacht one time. Blah, blah, blah. And it, yeah. And the movie that it does seem like, but at this point they very clearly know who each other are. Yeah. And it's kind of dumb. The movie gives the reason for why Largo doesn't just immediately kill Bond as that if they were to kill him, uh, it would like it would call down like all yeah, the, it would the cavalry, basically like they would. Yeah, they would tip off like MI6 and, you know, all of the intelligence agencies that uh-huh. they need to send their people here because that's where they are. Which I think is fine. Um, but again, I just prefer the book's version where he just successfully cons Largo for like most of the time he's on the island. Uh, and Lighter mm-hmm. is like his assistant. Like he yeah. pretends to be his assistant or whatever. 
They have this whole ploy. They have this whole ploy when they're on his boat. They have like a Geiger counter, and this is the gadget where he has the he has the um the one he gives Domino in the movie the the camera Geiger counter. Uh They have that, but lighter. When lighter's using it, you can plug it into uh, your wristwatch and like read. You see the readings on your wristwatch, and lighter is doing that while they're on the yacht because they think that maybe the bombs might be on the yacht, and so they're trying to use the Geiger counter to see if they're on the yacht. And there's this great detail where when they get on the yacht, uh, Lighter's like, do we have time for this? Like, he kind of like makes a big show of like, we have that appointment, blah, blah, blah. And then so the rest of the time they're on their yacht, on the yacht, Lighter keeps checking his watch Mm. as part of the cover story. Like, we got to get to that appointment. But he's actually like Mm -hmm. looking at the Geiger counter thing that he's carrying around. Anyways, all that stuff's just way more interesting. Yeah, that feels like way more in line with what I would expect from a spy story. Yes. As like going undercover and yeah. b- being a spy. Yes. Yeah. And that's what the book is. <laughs> uh, so then there's, there's another scene at Largo's estate. Um, and I believe this is at night when he sneaks back he in sneaks to back try to in, find yeah. Paula, who's yes. been captured. Yes. Um, and then he's climbing the roof and he gives himself away by dropping his gun. He like drops his gun and it fires. Uh, is any of that from the book? Uh, none of that scene is in the book at all. Um, he never like breaks in at night to do anything. But it's actually that moment where he drops the gun is one of the only moments in the film that reflected an element of the book that surprised me the most. But we'll have more on that later because I have that in a later section. Intrigue. Yes. Okay. Uh, how about the scene where he's trapped in the pool with the sharks? No. So the pool of sharks is a complete movie edition ah. that is not remotely anything in the book. Uh, Bond does deal with some sea creatures quite a few times in the book, but they always, that's always in the ocean. <laughs> He's okay. like, whenever that happens, it's in the ocean. Uh, and I will have more on that later. Cause there are several interactions with some, some fauna in the, in the ocean. That is pretty interesting. <laughs> Excellent. Um, speaking of interesting interactions, uh, so we, the Fiona, the dangerous, sexy Fiona redhead, uh returns and bond just has sex with her does he does does he have again she's not from the book not in the books not in the book because her character's not in the book but it tracks bond will have sex with literally any woman that he finds attractive it like just he does not care like he's he's a horn dog like that is his whole thing Uh, both in the books and the movie Uh. the movies um Absolutely, totally in line with his character. Again, this specific one does not happen in the book because he, she's not in the book. But but uh, if she were, if she were, he would absolutely have sex with her. Yes, <laughs> unquestionably. <laughs> uh, I did one of my favorite scenes or moments from that scene in the movie is her line is so good. Uh, where at like before or right after or during them having sex, she has this line where she turns to him and she goes, you like wild things, Mr. Bond, James Bond. <laughs> the way she says that, Mr. Bond, James Bond, is so funny to me. I love it. Um. So then uh, they capture him after he has sex with her. Yeah. Um, uh, foolish decision, yes. in my opinion, because um, then they capture him and he he gets away from them and we're in the midst of the the Junkanu. like Junkanu. Yes. Um which is which they say is like a Mardi Gras. Yeah. Type type celebration that yeah. they have on this island and there's this parade going on. Um and he evades them for a while by hiding inside of a parade float. 
Does that happen in the book? So none of this scene is from the book. And it's actually one of my the random things that I really enjoy about Bond movies in general is that from my memory, the, the Bond movies love including unique regional cultural like celebrations and stuff mm. in the films. I think you could argue it's maybe a bit exploitative or tokenizing, but it seems like they legit just film the actual things happening. Like to me, this yeah. looks like they're just at yeah, the actual I, yeah, it parade does. filming. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like they do like some weird fake version of it for movies. It seems like they're literally just filming uh red letter meteor media calls it shooting the rodeo where like, if you want to add like some production value to your movie, if you're in a place and there's like a rodeo going on, you like go to the rodeo and film there because it's like a big event that you can film at mm-hmm. and it like you don't have to do anything. Like it's just like you can yeah, go, you know what I mean? Stuff happening it's just stuff already. happening already that you can kind of include in your movie to like up the production value without really doing anything yourself. Uh, and the and the Bond movies from my memory actually do this quite a bit with, like I said, like local cultural Mm-hmm. things um which again is interesting uh and i i will say like uh, in this one I, I looked up this is a real thing the Giancano thing it's actually named after a guy named john like canoe or can i don't know how it's hmm. pronounced um who was like a slave it's like so it was a thing that started during slavery in the bahamas mm-hmm. as like a way to celebrate that the slaves did to, as like a celebration that they were allowed to do or something like that so it's some sort of again bah- specifically bahamian cultural thing um, that goes on there. And and again, they do this in a lot of the movies. And I've always thought it was kind of as a kid, I was always like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> like, I've never <laughs> seen that before. I did have I, I had questions, though, <laughs> about how long this parade went on, because they he takes Domino. Yes. To the parade and then leaves. And I believe this is when he goes to try to find Paula. Yeah. And like and goes yeah, goes to Largo's estate, gets captured, escapes, comes back, has sex, gets and then gets again. captured again and escapes and the parade is still happening. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it is wild. It is pretty wild. Um but so he he ends up getting cornered by them again in this like nightclub type place. Yes. Um He's running and he gets away, but yeah, he gets into a nightclub yeah. and they find him again. Yeah, so he's dancing. The Kiss Kiss Club, which the, we talked the, about in the prequel. Yes. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is what some Italian reviewer called James Bond. Um, so he, he's dancing with Fiona in this nightclub and he sees all of her henchmen surrounding them. And then one of them goes to shoot and he spins around and uses her back to catch the bullet. Um before it can hit him and then like throws her down in a chair and immediately makes a joke about the fact that she's dead. dead, Um, anything like that in the book, nothing like that happens in the book. Um, I actually kind of hate this scene. I think I have a note about it later. I, it's not, it's like my least favorite part of the movie. Cause I just don't, it's so weirdly Mm. shot to me and like paced and I just not a big fan of it. But Bond quipping after killing people is a a movie classic. Uh, Less so a thing in the book. Again, at least in this book, he's not super quippy uh, in this book. But uh, he has some good lines, but he's not like a one-liner after killing people kind of guy like he is in the movies. But in the movies, that is one of Bond's staples is (laughs) quippy one-liners after killing somebody. Sweet. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then we we cut to the next day, and he's out swimming, or no, maybe this is a couple days later. I don't remember. He's swimming with Domino, and she steps on, like, a sea urchin. Yes. Um, and she's like, oh, no, it's venomous. Uh, and then he... Sucks the venom out of her foot. Yep. Um, in a in a scene that I'm sure has launched a million fetishes. Um, does he do that in the book? Uh, yes, I uh, yes. So this scene is pretty much identical to the book, except in the book it's foreplay to them having sex instead uh, of the post sex scene. Right. She steps on the the sea urchin and then. Uh, he sucks the, the spines out of her feet and then they go have he carries her into a tent on the beach and then they have sex. So, but yes, that is exactly what happens in the book. Cool. <laughs> Does Bond straight up harpoon gun uh, the creepy specter guy? Uh, unfortunately, Bond harpoons zero people in this book. Actually, uh, more on that later. Uh, I do like this scene a lot. Uh, he kills Vargas in the scene, which I think is in mm-hmm. the, I think that guy might be in the, I can't remember if he's in the book or not. Um, but I love that he harpoons that guy and uh, again, gets to drop a great one-liner. Uh, I think he got the point. <laughs> it's great. Jesus. It's great. It's great. Uh, um, so Domino is now helping Bond um, and she's going to take the camera uh, Geiger, Geiger counter yep. And go aboard the yacht and see if she can figure out if the the bombs nuclear are bombs are aboard the yacht. Yeah. Um, but Largo catches her, and he uh, is going to torture her with a cigarette and ice cubes. Yes. Is, does that happen in the book? Yes. Uh, and in the book, he actually does torture her. In the in the film, he like is interrupted almost yeah. immediately. We see she has like one. Yeah, like, she has like one on burn. Yeah, I know. In the book, um, when Bond finds her again at the end of the novel, she is like covered in welts and burns and mm. is severely injured. Uh, so I actually appreciated that the movie uh, limited limited that quite a bit. Uh, we don't read it in the book. Like it's the end of a chapter. It's like he he comes in and he's like, "Now you will talk." Blah blah blah. And he does like the oh, the speech is almost identical to the movie about how she's given him pleasure and now he's got to give her pain or whatever. Uh, and then the the chapter ends with him like leaning towards her, and then we mm-hmm. cut away, and we don't like again. It's not like described or anything like that. But when we do see her later, she's like severely injured because of the torture. Uh, so I appreciated that the movie didn't feel the need to like severely torture our female lead. Yeah. <laughs> was nice. <laughs> um, so at this point now, uh, we know that the, the bombs are there and they've called in the cavalry. Um, and I, I wanted to know if in the, if in the book, they, these different organizations, like, airdrop a bunch of secret agents down into the ocean (laughs) no no they do not and i actually much prefer this in the book in the book uh lighter felix lighter calls a submarine that he has like on standby Mm. uh called the manta i believe um that they then him and bond then get onto the manta to chase the disco volante because the disco volante is leaving Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're they're gotta follow it because they don't know for sure. Like they're still like at this point in the movie or novel, it's pretty pretty towards the end, but they're still not a hundred percent sure that he has the bombs or what he's doing, or like they don't know for sure what's going on. Uh, and at this point, he has sent Domino onto the ship to like signal if 
mm-hmm. if she finds the bombs with the Geiger counter, but they never hear anything from her. So they don't know for sure what's going on, but they want to follow the Disco Volante leaves and they're going to follow it in this submarine that they get on. And then while on this submarine, once the Disco Volante stops and like docks and they think like they're going to move the bombs or whatever, they recruit 10 divers from the sub mm. um, and they get like escape pod launched out of the sub like torpedoes to go attack Largo's <laughs> crew. It's pretty great. Uh, also, the sub captain is a fun character named Peter Peterson. <laughs> Uh, He also smokes a pipe on the sub. Like when they meet him, he's like in his (laughs) office on a submarine smoking a pipe, which just cracked me up. That would not fly at all. (laughs) I'm pretty sure these days they don't let you smoke on fucking summer. It's like terribly dangerous. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, he's smoking a pipe in his submarine office when they meet him for the first time. And he's a fun (laughs) character. But yeah. Uh, I believe in maybe the remake of this, the um, Never Say Never Again one or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think they might do the sub scene in that one. I remember, and may, or maybe it's a different movie entirely. I remember Bond getting shot out of like a torpedo tube in a movie. <laughs> and so it might be that one. Because in this one, yeah, he gets shot up. They call it an escape pod, but it, he, they like compressed air, like shoots him out of the submarine. <laughs> and then him and like him and the other divers or whatever so that they can go fight Largo. It's pretty great. Um, so then they, they've airdropped all of these secret agents into the ocean. Um, and meanwhile, the bad guys are moving this bomb underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, 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 and then they all fight in lines. They square off underwater. like it's they fight. Like it's they fight the in lines. Revolutionary yes, War. Like they're just like yeah. stepping, swimming over each other. Um, do they fight in lines underwater in the book? So this this scene's kind of close to the book. Uh, I would say they don't fight in lines. And the big difference that I really like in the book is that in the book, Bond and the Navy divers actually don't have spear guns. They they just have knives and knives literally taped to broomsticks to use as spears. <laughs> it sounds silly, but like they didn't come prepared to like wage an underwater war. Like they're sure. They're, yeah. they're, they're like it's like a submarine. They're not there. You know, they have like guns and stuff, but they don't have like they're not. This is not what they normally do. So they don't have a bunch of spear guns or whatever. Um, whereas Largo's guys do because their whole thing, they know they're going to be taking this underwater or whatever, and they mm-hmm. need to attack. Uh, mainly, they have the spear guns primarily for fish. They're not even, like, Largo and his crew is not even that worried about people. They right. mainly have the spear guns for, like, sharks and stuff. I mean, that's fair. You're underwater. Yeah. Why would you be that worried about people? Yeah. So so Bond and his guys, they just have knives and, and broomstick spears. <laughs> Um, and the, the cool thing is that they actually have to like stealthily ambush Largo's men who do have spear guns or they'll right. get killed before they can even get to them. So in the book, they have to like sneak up on them, basically. Like once they finally see them, they like make sure they like stay behind them and to the side of them and like swim up as obviously silently because they're underwater. But like they swim up behind them and like try to get as close as they can so that they can attack them. And they do get they do realize while they're still a little bit away and a couple guys get speared, but they're able to get close enough that they don't all just get wiped out by spear guns mm-hmm. before, uh, before they're able to get to them. I get why the movie gives uh, our good guys spear guns. I get it. We get this big battle where we're all, sh- it would yeah. seem weird if like, you know, it wouldn't be as fun if like only half the guys had spear guns and our other guys are like, I get it. I get, give, give them both spear guns. We get this big, like underwater, like, like you said, like line battle military fight thing. 
Um, but I just really preferred in the book kind of the underdog status our heroes have because mm-hmm. they just don't have the weapons to go against Largo's men in this in this final battle. They're also outnumbered. Like I think there's Largo's has like fifteen or twenty men. I think it's fifteen men, and Bond has like ten. Mm. So, uh, so my last question here: Does Domino get to kill Largo? Because I really liked that. Yes, and this was actually my favorite and most surprising part of the book. Uh, I was not expecting it at all. I had seen this movie and I completely forgot that happened. Um, I will have more on this later, uh, but this happens underwater in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bond is getting his again. I, I do like this slightly better in the book, but it's similar. Bond in the book is getting his ass kicked by Largo and is like literally going to die. Like mm-hmm. Largo is like choking him to death underwater or something like that. And then he just notices that Largo lets go of him and he opens his eyes and then sees Largo with a spear through his chest just floating there. And then he looks around Largo and sees Domino behind him loading another spear into her <laughs> spear gun. It's fantastic. It's so good. Um, and then so Largo dies and then uh, he swims over to Domino. And this is when he realizes she's like super injured and like mm-hmm. she was able to escape on her own. She's not re- like let go by the physicist or whatever in the book like she is in the movie. She's just able to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really ever explain how she's just able to escape somehow. But uh, when he gets over to her, he realizes that like she can barely swim, like she's like severely injured, and so they have to swim together to the surface because they're both like really injured and fucked up. Again, the movie's version is fine, but I just really enjoyed how it played out in the book, and it really did surprise me uh, that they let Domino kill him. I thought it was great. I was a big fan. Loved it. <laughs> a plus. All right, those are all Katie's questions for was that in the book? But she's got a few more. She was a little confused about things. So we're going to talk about that stuff in Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Was it lost? Yes, yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. Okay, I guess I have already had this question answered, but I was I was kind of especially confused at the beginning of this movie because... I felt like we didn't really get properly introduced to a lot of characters and a lot of them were like very similar looking. So I spent like the first half hour or so of this film just like swimming in confusion. Um, But one of the first things that I was really confused about was that if if the guy who tried to kill Bond with the, on the stretching machine was the same guy that he then traps in the steam box. Yes. Yeah, that was Count Lippa. Um, he, he So he's one of Spectre's like lower sub operators. He doesn't mm-hmm. have a number or he does, but he's like sub operator six. He is not one of the main guys or whatever. Um, and he's actually at this health clinic that Bond is at, which is called Shrublands. He's there to keep an eye and facilitate the whole plot with the pilot. Right. Again, it's similar to the movie, but without the face surgery stuff. Um, he's basically the he he's just kind of the handler for this pilot to make sure everything goes off without a hitch for this pilot. Um, and he does try to kill Bond after he hears Bond talking to headquarters about him on, on the phone. But I much prefer the whole scene in the book where um, Bond gets revenge after the whole stretching machine thing, because mm-hmm. in the movie, he seems to just kind of stumble upon yeah. this. He's just like walking yeah. down the hallway and is like, oh, look, it's the guy that tried to kill me. I'll just lock him in this thing in the book he plans all of this out he like crafts Mm. this whole plot to (laughs) to get revenge on count lippa and he like 
he like mimics the voice of one of the workers so that he can he gets all the workers he knows when all the workers are going to go on lunch or whatever and that count he knows count lipa's whole schedule like he he like tr- mm-hmm. keeps track of his whole schedule and what he does every day and when he's going to be in this i think it's called a turkish sauna uh when he's going to be in this thing and he like figures it all out and then he knows that they're going to go all the workers are going to go on lunch and then he he talks to the one worker who he knows will be responsible for letting Lippa out. And it's like, Hey, why don't you go take an early, like he does something. I can't remember the details, but he finagles this whole thing. And then when like the, the supervisor yells down and is like, Hey, make sure you get count Lippa out of the, the Turkish thing or whatever to the, the guy who's supposed to be doing it. Who's already gone at this point because bond did something to like, get him out of there bond like pretends to be that guy and is like oh yeah i'll take care of it and like it's this whole plot basically it's way more interesting i get why the movie streamlines that it's a whole lot for a a kind of irrelevant scene because his character dies like in five minutes in both the book and the movie but the thing i like about it in the book is that it really lets us see this is our first instance of like seeing how good bond is at this like the way he he like keeps track of everybody's schedules and he knows exactly what time every worker goes on break and does all this stuff it's like our introduction in this book at least to like how good of a spy bond is or whatever Mm. and so i liked that a lot about the the book whereas again we're in the movie he's just like oh i guess i'll just do this (laughs) again it's fine but i I prefer in the book um so i might have missed an explanation for this in the movie but so they're they're going to steal these atomic bombs uh, that are on this flight and they say that it's a training flight. Yes. But my question is, why did they have actual functioning atomic weapons on board a training flight? So I also had this question. Do not recall it being answered in the book. Did some searching, could not find a, sa- a satisfying answer why that's that would so be the case. so weird, because all you have to do is not say that it's a training flight, right? Well, I mean, it would have to be a training flight because they wouldn't be going to use them. Sure. So it needs to be some be sort of training flight. Transporting but... them, right? True, yeah. No, but it is a training, uh, yeah, it is a training flight in the book. I don't know what, I, the only thing I could think is that maybe the training flight is they use the real thing because for the purposes of the drilling of like what they're doing, mm-hmm. you would, they want the level of attention to detail and seriousness of using the, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm just, I, I don't know if the book, if it does say why they use the actual nukes in this training exercise, I don't know why, uh, but it is the same. It is a training exercise and there is real nukes for some reason. And I also had that question. It seems like a wild risk. I agree. Um, I don't have an answer for you on that one. All right. Well, uh, I also wanted to know about Paula uh, because I wasn't sure. And again, this might be something that I did not catch in the movie. Like, what is her role? So she's not in the book at all. Uh-huh. Uh, I did like adding her. It was a better in the movie thing I had. Apparently, uh, I thought she was part of, which I guess she does have an American accent, but I thought she was like from MI6 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought she was like another field agent from MI6. But uh, in the credits on Wikipedia, she's credited as a CIA agent. Like, oh. as, as like she's like a friend or not friend, but like working with lighter, basically, uh-huh. um, who's just there helping. 
the, her role, I don't know. She's just another field agent there, like helping or yeah. whatever. I liked that we just that that we actually get like a woman field agent. Yeah, because yeah, it's, you know, it's that we don't get any of them in the book, and it's the book goes out of its way to express the uh, the fact that everybody who does this is men in right. their thirties. Um, so yeah, I I enjoyed having her be there because it. It was at least interesting. Uh, she gets a little bit of the short shrift in the film, in my opinion, right. which we'll talk about. But yeah, uh, I no no real explanation. Again, nothing from the book because he's not in it. But I, I don't really have much to add of like what her specific reason for being there was, other than just to like help on the mission. Mm-hmm. Um. So my next question, and the reason that I have this here, was because so the movie implies that. Bond and Domino are scuba diving. Yes. And then the movie implies that they have sex underwater while scuba diving, which to me seems like it would be difficult, if not impossible. Difficult at best. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I was, I'm wondering if what the, like, do they have sex scuba diving? They have scuba sex. The movie isn't. I think the movie is implying that. Yeah. Okay, so none of this is in the book. It's not at all in the book. It it makes no sense. I agree. Um, in the book, Domino, like I said earlier, is coming back from a dive, and mm-hmm. it Bond's waiting for her on the beach, and she steps on a sea urchin, or she said she steps on a sea urchin while she was in the sea, and that's when he sucks the sea urchin's spine out of her foot, and then they have sex. Right. I will say, so this is the kind of cheeky sex scenes that the Bond movies love doing. Uh-huh. They always have these kind of ridiculous, like, part of it is like the set, like the PG rating. It's like, oh, could they be having sex? The fact that it makes no sense that they would be having sex is part of how they get away with. Right. That's fair. With what they're doing there. Because I read a thing actually in the prequel that I didn't include in the notes that in that scene originally, the director or the script or something included a sh- when all those bubbles come up mm-hmm. um you 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 would originally see her uh bikini top like floating up or mm-hmm. whatever and they mm-hmm. got rid of that because that was too scandalous or whatever um supposedly i mean I, that's interesting that's what they say at considering least. some of yes, the other i i agree I, scenes in the movie i, I agree I, I don't know how true that is because like okay but also <laughs> we see plenty of other scenes yeah. where women are nude or like topless and yeah. like covering it with blankets or in a tub like oh whatever so i don't know again i don't know how true that is but again the movies do love this kind of sex scene or at least these early movies do where mm-hmm. it's like a, a funny silly like oh maybe they were like kissing like but obviously they weren't kissing they're wearing <laughs> scuba gear it's just it's the kind of sex scenes you get in bond movies it doesn't really make sense the point is you're supposed to kind of blush and chuckle and go ooh, and right? then, like not think about it too much i sure yes. yeah okay <laughs> yeah. all right um who was the guy that, that untied domino on board the yacht yes so that character's name is kotza or i don't know how to pronounce it i believe he's polish um i think mm-hmm. uh He's uh the and, and he is this in the movie as well. He's a nuclear physicist that Spectre recruited to help with the bombs, basically. Okay. His whole job is to basically um fix the bombs so that or like uh fuss with the bomb bombs so that they can be used with a timer as opposed to like dropped from like mm-hmm. a plane. Because they have to like pull the front off of them and put some special detonator things on them so that they can like with timers or whatever. And that's his job. Uh which he does mention in the movie and then he mentions that he throws the 
detonators overboard because he like grows a yeah. conscious or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, none of that's from the book. He just is part of the plot um, the whole time uh, until the end. Uh, like he doesn't have that redemptive moment in the book. Um, but at the end, he does. He is arrested. Like it's it's mentioned in like the summary. There's like the final chapter of this book. Lighter comes in to bond in the hospital and is like explains everything oh, that happened. Here's the report. Yeah, it's like the, the end of Psycho where they <laughs> yeah. like the detective comes in and is like, so here's all what happened. Uh, we get that scene in this, and he explains that this physicist like basically just he says he like sang like a jailbird or whatever. Mm. He just like tells the whole plot and everything, so they know all the details. Um, but he does not like save Domino or anything like that, but that's who he is. He's a physicist there to help with the nuclear bombs. Okay. Yeah. It was, I was laughing really hard at the end of this movie because they, they show him jumping off of the boat with Bond and Domino. Yes. And then he just vanishes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Again, in the book, he's just arrested. Uh, there's no big like boat chase or crash or anything, uh -huh. but that cracked me up too. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but in the summary, uh, for that you read for the, from Wikipedia, the trio quickly flees Disco Volante barely before its destruction. Whereupon Kutza vanishes and Bond and Domino yes. are retrieved by a plane. <laughs> he just you see, really he jumps off the boat and then he's just gone. To be fair, they do give him a, a floaty device, but yeah, they just yeah. leave him there. Apparently, he's just gone. All right, those are all of Katie's questions. It's time to find out what I thought now was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. Uh, so I mentioned this before, but the reason Bond is going to Shrublands, the, the health resort, is way more interesting in the book. Uh, I have some sub notes here that I just want to kind of run through. Like, he gets a medical report, and I just want to talk about the... the <laughs> <laughs> on his medical report he has to tell him how much how, how much he smokes and how much he drinks james bond <laughs> smokes 60 cigarettes a day and drinks half a bottle of liquor every oh, single day that's that's <laughs> so many yes. cigarettes so many cigarettes and a lot of alcohol. Oh, my God. Um, but anyways, uh, so, yeah. So, Bob M is basically sending him to Shrublands to, to like, get his health in order. Uh, and M goes on this rant that cracked me up uh, and made me, like, roll my eyes about how everything these days is artificial and terrible for us. <laughs> Good. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so, he's going to send him to the Shrublands uh, to detox with the naturopaths. And initially, I thought the book was going to be sympathetic to natu uh, naturopathy or whatever, but I actually don't think it is um, because M is sympathetic to it. But I think we're supposed to be we're, we're definitely like the I don't want to say the. Yeah, the 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 right in character, not the right in character. What's the term? The the character that Fleming most like identifies or is putting his voice through. What, what is oh, um. um. Oh my god, there's a term that I'm just blanking on. Anyways, the character that I think we're supposed to kind of agree with the most and that mm -hmm. is voicing the author's opinions is James Bond, I think, for the most part. Uh, and he has a line once he gets to Shrublands that I thought was very good where he goes, H-Man, which is what they call the the, the healers at uh, Shrublands, H-Man stood for Health Man, which was a smart thing to call oneself if you were a naturopath, <laughs> which I thought was good is like kind of acknowledging that it's all bullshit. Um, so I think he's I think the book is actually kind of critical of naturopathy. Uh, and then after the whole thing where Bond gets almost killed in the 
the mm-hmm. torsion stretching machine. Uh, they're like they're treating him at the resort, and he re- he says he wants a real doctor and not one of these grated carrot merchants, <laughs> which I thought was really good. Uh, he's like, I would I need to get to a real doctor and not one of these grated carrot merchants. Uh, so the thing that maybe surprised me the most that I was not expecting that I've mentioned earlier is that is Bond's vulnerability in this book. Mm. It's not something I remotely expected having only ever watched the movies. Um, and there's a, you mentioned a couple of moments in the movie that a little bit of this comes through, but I, very subtly as compared to what's in the book. So, and the first moment of this is that on page 32, when he's getting ready, when Patricia is going to put him on the torsion machine, the, the spine stretching machine thing, he's actually like really nervous about it. Like he's he like not in like a playful, funny way. He's like actively nervous about it in a way that I thought was really interesting, which again, I just bond being nervous is not a thing I identify with Bond's character from the movies like at all. Like yeah. he's just not a nervous guy. Like he's he's. The whole thing of Bond is like he's super calm, cool, and collected yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like they, that is who Bond is. But he's like super nervous about getting on this machine or whatever. And he like makes Patricia like explain exactly how it works before he'll even get on it or whatever. Um, then later, after he's been at this resort for a while, he he starts to he actually starts to feel a lot better. He's like, oh, it's nice not waking up with a hangover every morning and mm-hmm. like I can breathe and blah 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 because I'm not smoking sixty cigarettes a day and all this sort of stuff. Um, but he actually begins to like become really worried and introspective about the fact that he feels like a completely different person. And like, is he even himself if he doesn't have his vices and mm. all this sort of stuff? That's um, heavy. Yeah. Like he gets into this whole thing. He's like, who am I? If I like, if I'm not you know, drinking and smoking and, and, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but he does. Don't worry. Uh, he has three desires still, despite his change in his personality from, from being at this resort for a few weeks. Uh, he has three desires that still make him feel like himself. He really wants some spaghetti and wine. He wants to fuck Patricia and he wants to get revenge on Count Lippa. And those three things, he's like, okay, I'm still me. <laughs> I want to kill a guy. I want to have sex with a woman and I want to drink, eat some spaghetti and drink wine. There's another moment later. So throughout this whole book, uh, the movie never really implies this, but Bond and Lighter both think they're kind of on a fool's errand. They think they've oh. been sent to the Bahamas like to get them out of the way kind right. of right interesting um and especially lighter but even bond they don't think there's really anything they're like probably nothing important going on here um and so as bond starts to get more and more evidence he considers he keeps considering whether or not he should report back and be like I think I got a lead here I think I got something going on and there's like several moments throughout this where he's like really doubts himself and he's worried of like making a fool of himself he doesn't want to like report stuff if he and like get like people involved if it's not going to turn out to be like Mm-hmm. real or whatever and so he like he like really doubts himself a lot which again self-doubt is not a thing I, a characteristic i remotely associate with james bond um there's another scene i'll mention later where a, a man gets bitten by a barracuda and bond nearly throws up when he sees this happen uh like he he like almost huh. throws he's like scuba diving and he almost throws up in his mask like when he sees yeah. this man get like attacked by this barracuda which again the idea of bond being like queasy at like yeah. violence is not a thing i just i remotely identify with bond 
Um, also, the Barracuda then gets all like messed up by the grenades, which happens in the movie. They're throwing grenades in the water. Mm-hmm. In that scene, that's where the Barracuda is. And the Barracuda gets like, I don't know, it doesn't get hit by one of the grenades, but like the pressure wave like fucks with the Barracuda. Yeah. And as Bond is like swimming away, trying to escape, the Barracuda swims past him, like freaking out. Oh. And he's like, he that's his reaction. Oh. Bond is like, feels really bad. <laughs> Poor little guy. Yeah, he feels really bad for this Barracuda that he's like, well, that's gonna die. He's like, it's gonna go get, it's yeah. Like it's it's pressure bladder or something got messed up and then like a shark's going to eat it or whatever. And he like feels really bad about it. Uh, and then the last note I had for this is that when he does, when they find the plane and Bond dives down to like go inspect the plane for evidence or whatever, uh, he swims in amongst all the dead bodies that are on the plane and he gets super creeped out by it. Mm. And then when he finally, he gets them evidence or whatever. And then when he gets back to the surface, he gets so like skeeved out that he like rips all of his scuba gear off and just like lets it sink to like, he just like has to get it off of himself. Cause it's like, it was like, it's like contaminated or, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, cause yeah. he was down amongst all these dead bodies. Again, just all of these little moments of bond being like a normal person which mm-hmm. is not what I think of when I think of James Bond in the movies. James Bond in the movies, at least in the old movies, the modern ones, they play a lot more with his vulnerability and stuff. It's like a, a, more, a more humanized Bond or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the old movies, he's just like the coolest, most composed guy ever. Yeah. Uh, and that is not the case in this book, which I thought was very interesting. So uh, a good thing that is not in the book that is in the movie is that uh, Bond blackmails Patricia into sex in the film. Great. where after he's like injured on the machine or whatever he's like she's like oh please don't tell anybody he's like well i won't tell anybody if you have sex with me (laughs) i will say it's not remotely out of character it's very much in character of bond uh but it's at least one terrible thing that he does not do in the book (laughs) uh as i mentioned in the the intro quote bond actually hates tea uh he calls it the time-wasting opium of the masses which i thought was really funny but he gets into tea when he's at the health resort because it's Uh the only thing he can drink that's remotely interesting (laughs) is that he can put some like (laughs) he goes to like these tea houses and can put like sugar in his tea and it's like Uh it's like liquor to him because it's other than that he's drinking like hot water with lemon juice in it and like nothing else or whatever uh, there's a moment in the book that is not in the movie where Money Penny, uh, who's in this movie a couple times, who is she's a like a main character in the whole mm-hmm. series. She is M's secretary. Um, she comforts Bond uh, that eventually he'll go back to normal. Uh, like because he uh, this is like when he's questioning like who am I without my vices and all this sort of yeah. stuff and blah blah. And she's kind of comforting him and being like, look, you'll you'll get back to normal eventually. M goes to this health resort every now and then, and every time he does, he's like a new man for three weeks. And then he goes back to drinking and smoking. Like She's like, you'll get over it basically. Um, and she has this really interesting line where she says that men are better when they, she goes, yeah, it's men, men, uh, men tend to have drinking problems, but men are better when they're drinking because while they're awful, at least they don't think they're gods. Like her, hmm. her argument is that like, it's actually like, or not her argument. But what she's saying is that, it's actually good when men drink because it like humbles them because it like weakens them. And if they're, if they're like the version of bond that comes back from the health resort, like feels invincible yeah. because he's like, he wakes up at like 5 AM and he's like, he's like this perfect specimen. And he's just like, he could take over the world. He feels like a God basically. Uh-huh. And she's like, 
the liquor like dulls that and men need that <laughs> they need to, they need to not feel like gods which i just thought was interesting i don't know it's whatever um uh, there's a moment where bond uh in the book switches to healthier cigarettes Ooh. he switches from these very intense like i think they're from like they're from some European country uh-huh. cigarettes that have like a lot of tar and nicotine in them. He switches to some cigarettes that are like w- uh, better like, for you or whatever. Camel lights or yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> and he's like, this is part of his whole changed man thing. Yeah. Mm, uh, he that. also has a Scottish housekeeper who's a lot of fun. Uh, who who gives him shit for his weird eating when he comes back from the health clinic. She's like, you can eat to eat real food, but she does it with a very thick uh, Scottish accent. Anyways, she's a lot of fun in the book. She doesn't make an appearance in the movie. Uh, when the when the plane lands, or when uh, the pilot lands the plane, uh, and it's sinking under the water, they shoot a big floodlight at it. And I mm-hmm. really wanted to see that in the movie because the way it's described in the book sounds really creepy. Like you can, they put a light under the water and shoot it at the plane, so that there's this big illuminated like circle of light where you see the plane sinking down, hmm. and it just it really triggered like the thassalophobia. You know what that is? It's like the, the fear, fear of like of deep water. Yeah, yeah. Like it, like and like things underwater yeah. or whatever. Like it, it felt like it would be super creepy, uh, and so I was disappointed that wasn't in the movie because I thought it would look cool. Um, when Bond introduces himself to Domino, he has this great line. Uh, he does the I'm Bond, James Bond, but uh, <laughs> I think she's like smoking a cigarette or says something about like giving up cigarettes, and he goes, "Bond, James Bond, I'm the world's authority on giving up smoking. I do it constantly." <laughs> Which is a good line. Uh, then they go, him and uh, Domino go to get brunch uh, at this like little restaurant. And Bond says, it's exactly midday. Do you want to drink solid or soft? And Domino says, soft. I'll have a double Bloody Mary with extra Worcestershire sauce. And he's Ugh. like, soft? If that's soft, what's hard? And she's like, if it doesn't, ha- she says something. She has some weird rule for what is like hard drinking. Uh, but apparently, Bloody Marys is like that's eh, a soft drink, basically. So in the movie, they send Bond to Nassau because of uh, Domino's brother yeah. thing connection. I'll talk more about that here in just a second. But in the movie or in the book, I really prefer that the reason they're sending Bond to Nassau is just because M has a hunch, and again, hmm. Bond thinks it's like nothing probably and it's like well whatever i'll just go get a suntan and like hang out um but it ends up being like the real deal um another thing and this kind of goes into some of your questions this movie is just such a cliff notes version of the plot that i was legitimately interested to see how much of it you could even follow and you followed about what i expected where you were confused about about as much as i thought you would be yeah (laughs) and were able to follow about as much as i thought because it just it doesn't have the connective tissue that the book does. And I, I even I was like, wait, what's going on now? And I mm-hmm. read the fucking book that it's based on. So a little detail in the book that I thought was interesting from a writing style perspective is that uh, there's actually kind of a nonlinear narrative, whereas mm-hmm. it's actually pretty common for one chapter to explain events f- from before the previous chapter. So like in particular, there's a moment like an example of this uh, and it, it doesn't happen a ton, but it happens like two or three times in the book where we have a chapter where bond meets domino. He -hmm. like meets domino and they like, that's where they like have brunch and hang out. And he's like getting all this information from her. And then in the next chapter, he actually, he actually finds out about domino. Like he, we get the backstory of how he knew 
who Domino oh. was when he met her. Interesting. Like we get like again, it kind of like explains like oh, yeah. So he did all this like research and stuff of like. So you get like a was. scene, and then you get like more detail. Not even later. more detail. You get like what happened prior to that previous scene happening. Oh, interesting. Kind of. And it doesn't happen every single time and it doesn't, and it kind of stops like halfway through, but some of the earlier chapters, we get a handful of those scenes similar with the plane landing. Mm -hmm. We get, um, the pilot on the plane, stealing the plane and all that stuff. And then after that, we get his backstory and how they recruited him and, and blah, blah, blah. So like we get, hmm. it's just a little bit of nonlinear storytelling there that I thought was interesting. Uh, that obviously the movie doesn't really do. Blofeld's backstory is super interesting in the book. This may show up in other movies. It doesn't show up in this one, but we get the backstory of how he built his fortune uh, and like how he became the leader of Spectre. It's really interesting because he's like this very promising student who gets a job in the Ministry of Communication and, and everybody's like surprised that he gets that this like up and comer gets this kind of like boring job, but he uses it to then like sell secrets like he's getting mm. all this like messages and stuff coming through um basically he uh he sells information to like the nazis and stuff during world war ii and he like pretends he has this big network of spies but all it is is him using the names of people from the messages he's stealing he's basically selling information pretending he's part of this big network but it's just him stealing like letters and stuff basically hmm. i thought it was interesting and again that's just kind of how he like built his fortune and rose to power and becomes the leader of specter essentially and then he does create the organization that he pretended he had from the beginning essentially um the little detail the specter people rotate their numbers every month um, so in the movie, and I think in all the movies going forward, Spectre is always just Blofeld is always number one. Uh -huh. And then there's other people who are like descending numbers of people, basically. Yeah. But in the movie or in the book, every month they rotate numbers so that huh. some months Blofeld is number one, but the next month he's number two, the next month he's number three, so that they're never the same, I guess, for like covert reasons yeah. or whatever yeah that's interesting again i get why the movie changes it to make it more consistent at least it seems like they yeah. changed it but as fun as the pool of sharks is uh in the movie i thought largo's whole thing where they're gonna like they come across bond struggling in the pool and they're gonna shoot him and then largo's like no i've got a better idea was this it's really dumb again it's classic <laughs> bond stuff it's fun but it's just it's dumb mm -hmm. like i get it but I also hate it. I don't know. Um, also, there's a moment in this scene in the movie where when the, when he gets in the tunnel and he's swimming away, one of the sharks swims by. And this is the thing we talked about in the prequel where they have plexiglass separating him from the shark. Mm -hmm. Why? they ha He has his hand on the plexiglass in that shot in the movie. <laughs> so you can tell he has... There's a wall there. Like, why would you, his hand is like flat against the plexiglass <laughs> as the shark swims by? And I'm like, just don't have your hand. It's so yeah. dumb. Anyways, <laughs> drove me crazy. Really cool little moment that again, uh, Domino is this fascinating character in the book. I, she's so cool. Um, and she tells when Bond takes her after the casino scene uh, where she uh, Largo loses a bunch of money. Uh, Bond takes her for a drink. They hang out in the bar and she tells him this big, long story about this man she calls Hero, who is on the player cigarette pack. And which is a real thing. If you look up the player cigarette pack from back in the day, there's this guy who's like a sailor and his hat says Hero on it. And mm. he's got like these boats behind him. Mm -hmm. 
and she tells Bond this whole story about how as a child she was infatuated with this character and she creates this whole imaginary mythology, like romantic mythology about this picture of a sailor on the player's cigarette pack. And she she goes into all this detail. It's like five or six pages about how Hero actually painted Hero, who she called is what she calls this guy on this packet because his hat says Hero. He actually painted the pictures that are on the cigarette packs and sold the paintings to the guys who owned the cigarette company. And originally his paintings had a mermaid in them. And, but that's not on the cover of the cigarette pack because the mermaid was topless and they couldn't have that on their cigarette mm. pack. Cause one of the owners was a Quaker and he would not allow that. And like, she has this whole like rich tapestry of a story she invented. And it's just, again, it's just a, like a dive into kind of like the character that Domino is. And again, she just has so much more depth and layers in the book than she does in the, in the film. Interesting. Uh, so this is a very big one to me. And we mentioned this earlier, but the reveal of Domino being the sister of the dead pilot is so boring in the movie because we just find out immediately. Yes. It's just like immediate. In the book, we know that the pilot's last name is Patachi, like, the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as we're introduced to him, we find out we know his name's, like, something Patachi or whatever. Then, like, three quarters of the way through the book, during this conversation, Domino re reveals, because in the book, her name's, like, Domino Vitali or something like that. Mm hmm um, but she reveals in this scene that that's a stage name and that her actual last name is Patachi mm. and that she has. And then she also mentions this brother that she has that she loves dearly, who's back in Italy and who's like a super good pilot. Mm. And we already know what has happened to him at this point. And it's this big bombshell reveal of like, oh, shit. Her brother's dead. No. Yeah. Um, it's such a good twist. I it like knocked my socks off while I was reading because I was not expecting it at all. And I thought it was super fascinating and cool. Or I say cool, just like a super clever twist um, that added a lot of depth and nuance to her character. It also because we know her backstory and she has this very like kind of like hard knock upbringing it explains. And when she's talking about her upbringing and her brother, it explains why her brother was so ready to like. Mm -hmm. take the money basically because they both come from this sort of like yeah rough upbringing where they they've kind of fought and scratched their way for all of their money their whole lives and her brother actually has a really good career as this like successful pilot right. but he still has this like and so anyways it all this is a rich tapestry of character backgrounds that the movie just kind of does not give a shit at all about um so i was very disappointed when it just is revealed immediately oh look hey that's the pilot that was dead it's just her brother it was like the first thing we find out in the movie before we even meet Domino. I was like, all right, fine. A little detail when they're flying to go look, when Lighter and Bond are flying to go look for the bomb, they uh they see an intercontinental missile test happening and they get yelled at by like the the on the radio, mm -hmm. like, hey, you gotta get out of here. We're testing an intercontinental missile. <laughs> and, then, and then whatever. And then Bond reminisces about Moonraker, which is a, a different Bond story, which is fun. Um how they find the plane in the ocean works better in the book, in my opinion. It, it's very similar, uh, but in the in the movie, the, the guy's like, oh, that's the Golden Lagoon. Nobody goes there because the sharks. Yeah. In the book, Bond sees the sharks and is like, that's interesting. Why are the sharks circling there? There must be something going on there. And then as he looks closer, he sees the sharks fussing with some ropes mm -hmm. under the water, and it's the ropes that are holding the tarp over the plane or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it just kind of, again, to me, makes a little more sense in the book or than the movie does. Another detail that makes Domino more interesting is when 
in when they're on the beach and Bond recruits her to help, like, hey, I'm going to give you this guy your counter. You're going to go on the yacht and see if you can find the bombs. He's like, if you find the bombs, go into your room and switch your light on and off like four times, and mm-hmm. then we'll know that you found the bombs. And she's like, that's fucking dumb. The, people only do that in movies. Or like, <laughs> like she's like, that's a terrible idea. And she goes, instead, if I find the bombs, I'll come back up onto the deck of the boat, and then you'll know that, the, that I have the bombs. And which is what Bond suggests in the movie. Yeah. So the movie just takes her better version of the plan and gives it to Bond uh, initially. <laughs> Whereas in the in the book, she's like, you're dumb. That's dumb. <laughs> I'm going to do this instead, which I liked. Uh, there's a little plot detail where before they're about to go out on their diving mission, one of the Russian members of Spectre suspects that because they're only taking like half of the Spectre people out to go take the bomb to plant it. And this Russian guy is nervous that the other people on the boat are going to just like leave them and like take the money and like fuck off. Mm-hmm. And so he suggests that instead of it being like the specific group of 10 people that they instead take like one person from each of the different like organizations that make up Spectre, like the mm-hmm, Russian mafia. Yeah. The, he's like, let's do that. Cause in that way we know we can trust. And uh, Largo's like uh counterpoint. How about I shoot you in the face three times and just kills him immediately. Uh, and then sniffs the gun smoke. Cause he's insane. <laughs> he, he holds the gun to his nose and smells it. Cause he thinks it's, he's crazy. Uh, Bond does not drink enough in this movie. Uh, in the book, <laughs> Bond is drinking constantly. It's hilarious. Like even before important missions and stuff, he literally has a double bourbon before he takes a nap before his big night dive. Like he's like he's just he's drinking constantly in the book. It's very funny. A little detail that I thought was interesting is that when they're prepping for the big final fight scene, we both we get to see both the perspective from Spectre and the perspective of Bond and his people, and they kind of like get ready the same way. Like they both take like Spectre, they take like amphetamine or whatever mm-hmm. to like because they have to like swim a long way or whatever. Uh, and then in, in Bond, when they're doing it, they like take these battle pills, they're called, which is it's essentially the same thing from my understanding. And they like number off the same so that they all have numbers and everything. It's all very similar. Hmm. I think they were kind of doing the idea that like, you know, two sides of the same coin here. Um, the movie is just not at all concerned with explaining why they have to fight underwater. Yeah. In the book, they actually have to fight underwater because they need to wait for Largo to get the bomb off the ship to even confirm that the bomb's on the ship because they don't know right, for sure. Right. If they were to just try to like arrest them or whatever, the bombs might not be on the ship. Yeah. And so they might it might just blow everything. They might blow their cover and immediately like yeah. they would they would have they would like arrest Largo with nothing to show for it, basically. So they need to wait for him to take the bomb off the ship, but then they have to stop him before he gets the bomb to where it needs to go. So they literally have to attack him underwater. Like they have no other choice essentially. And the movie kind of just doesn't kind of hand waves that away i feel yeah. like but um in the final fight scene largo attacks james bond with an octopus oh, no underwater they're like facing off in a trench under the ocean and largo reaches his hand into a rock and pulls out an octopus and then punches <laughs> james bond with it and wraps it around his face oh my God. it's incredible <laughs> I say punches him with it. He like he like throws it at him. I don't know. Yeah. He wraps around Bond's face and starts like pulling his mask off and stuff. It's incredible. Uh, and that's right before um, Domino kills him. 
in the movie, having the boat separate and then it becomes super fast is kind of fun. Like, that's mm-hmm. like the big moment at the end where, the, like, they separate. Yeah, like, it's a kind of a cool, like, set piece. In the book, the boat is always just super fast and can do that hydrofoil thing where it, like, flies yeah. up on top of the water. That's just what the boat does, and it does it the whole time, and that's how they're able to, like, do their plot, even, mm-hmm. is they're able to steal the bombs because whatever. It's not a big deal, but it's, it's whatever. I also thought it was very funny in the movie that apparently a bunch of the Spectre guys are just like stay behind on the on the boat, on the boat shell the boat thing, butt. and with like the entire U.S. Armada bearing down on them, <laughs> and just like oh, I guess we'll just die, huh? Whatever, fine. They really drew the short straw on that one. Uh, and then finally, in the final chapter, I actually like the final chapter in the book quite a bit because it's just in the hospital, apart from the exposition. It's just in the hospital. Uh, Lighter's talking to Bond. He explains everything. And he says about Domino, that girl deserves all the medals. And I'll never call a girl frail again. At least not an Italian girl. God. <laughs> Which is very funny. Mm. Um, uh, and then Bond stumbles into Domino's hospital room and passes out next to her bed. And they fall asleep together, which is kind of sweet. Cute. All right. Time to find out what I thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So I was immediately confused in the book by all the gambling lingo, and this is a recurring problem. You can tell Fleming like knows his shit about these topics that he likes, and you just kind of have to go along for the ride and context clue things together if you're not a spy from the 40s who loves cars and obscure casino games. <laughs> like, it's just, it, he talks about cars and casino stuff, and it's just all the stuff he uses, lingos and all the spy stuff. is so much lingo. And this is like, uh, it's, it's fine. It works, but it's just a little annoying. Um, so the movie surprisingly tones down Bond's sexism quite a bit because specifically just because we're not in his head right. and we can't hear his thoughts. Um, uh, in the beginning of the book, Bond is bored with his desk work and he gets mad that his usual receptionist was replaced with, quote, a silly and worse ugly bitch. Hmm. She's silly and worse than that. She's ugly. So Charming. that's yeah. Um, uh, at one point, uh, when he first meets Domino, he picks her up and to, or no, Patricia, he picks Patricia up to keep her from getting hit by a car. Uh, and as he sets her down, he says his right hand held the memory. He doesn't say this. He thinks this, his right hand held the memory of one beautiful breast, which is just weird gross. and gross. Um, there's a moment between him and Patricia where she's like, he's naked and she's like giving him a massage or whatever. And uh, the thought he has is that he resents the neutrality in the relationship between an attractive woman and a half-naked man. It's it's offensive to him that okay. a man and a woman have such a neutral relationship. That's problematic to James Bond. Um, he muses on great man theory, uh, basically uh, the, uh, kind of positing that some men just exude power and magnetism and that these men run the world, essentially. Uh, which I mean, obviously there's some truth to that in a horrible way, but like, whatever, it's still gross. He, he, he says this is like a good thing. Um, there's a fantastic diversion that is not in the, in the movie about how some women are terrible drivers. And the reason they're terrible drivers is because when they're in a, they're own, they're mainly terrible drivers. It gets, it gets worse and worse and worse. I'm just going to read it real quick. Cause it's so fucking funny and how uh, just obnoxiously sexist it is. Women are often meticulous and safe drivers, but they are very seldom first class. In general, Bond regarded them as a mild hazard, and he always gave them plenty of road and was ready for the unpredictable. 
Four women in a car he regarded as the highest potential danger, and two women nearly as lethal. Women together cannot keep silent in a car, and when women talk, they have to look into each other's faces. An exchange of words is not enough. They have to see the other person's expression, perhaps in order to read behind the other's words or to analyze the reaction to their own. So two women in the front seat of a car constantly distract each other's attention from the road ahead, and four women are more than doubly dangerous, for the driver not only has to hear and see what her companion is saying, but also, for women are like that, that the two behind are what the two behind are talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's a moment later where uh, when he's thinking about um, uh, Domino and what kind of woman she is, uh, thanks to himself, Bond reserved the terms whore and tart for streetwalkers and brothel workers, which I thought was very forward thinking. Uh, yeah, very progressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Bond leaves or when Domino leaves after their first meeting for s- literally no reason at all, Bond calls her a bitch. Like in his head or? No, out loud. Oh. Um, perhaps. She put the car pointedly into gear. She took another look at him. She decided that she did want to see that she did want to see him again. She said, but for God's sake, don't call me Dominetta. I've never I've never called that. People call me Domino. She gave him a brief smile, but it was a smile into the eyes. She raised a hand. The rear wheels spat sand and gravel and the little blue car whirled out along the driveway to the main road. It paused at the intersection, then, as Bond Bond watched, turned right-handed towards Nassau. Bond smiled. He said, bitch, and then walked back into the restaurant to pay his bill and have a taxi called. (laughs) End of chapter. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know. I do not know. Uh, At one point, he notices that Domino has a slight limp, uh, and he finds this endearing, uh, thinking, quote, it gives her a touch of childish sweetness. What? End quote. A fucking limp? gross. Yep. What? Make that make sense. I, I don't fucking know. Uh, and then at one point later, uh, when they're on the beach uh, and she's naked, he describes her breasts as eyes looking up at him, which is not weird at all. Oh, that's some men writing women <laughs> shit. Yep. It's not weird at all. Um, uh, at one point, James Bond goes on a, an immediate boomer monologue about how the young, this is the very beginning. He's getting driven somewhere by a guy like in a car and he goes on this boomer monologue about how the current generation is so lost and, and <laughs> blah, 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 something, something who cares. Uh, also the driver starts complaining about how old rich guys from shrublands, which is where he's taking bond, uh-huh. um, started patronizing his favorite local prostitute. And that priced her because it's all like rich guys at Shrublands and that them going to this prostitute priced her out of his price range. And now he's mad because she made enough money that she could she bought a car and just like took off. I thought that was kind of funny, but it's just a weird (laughs) like side thing. of just like this guy's like mad that mad mad at a woman succeeding. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, the movie also drops a lot of the more racially charged stuff throughout the book, which is not a ton of it in this one, but there's a little bit. Um, uh, at one point, he describes, uh, I believe it's Lippa, as an oriental of Portuguese Portuguese extraction, a Chinaman. Mm. Um, and then I don't know if this is anti-Semitism, and it also may be tongue-in-cheek. I'm not sure. Um, I have I, I did some looking and it sounds like the consensus is that Fleming was probably anti-Semitic. Um, but we're just Color me shocked. Yes. He's describing a ro- the Boulevard Haussmann, uh 
stretches from the Rue de Faubourg and St. Honra to the Opera. This is in Paris. It is very long and very dull, but it is perhaps the solidest street in the whole of Paris. Not the richest. The Avenue de, de Lena has that distinction. But rich people are not necessarily solid people, and too many of the landlords and tenants in the Avenue de Lena have names ending in Escu, Ovich, Ski, and Stein, and these are sometimes not the endings of respectable names. Uh, which yeah. I'm not sure. That being said, there's some, and I don't have all the details. There's some added layers later in that chapter that make me think that maybe that's being a little tongue in cheek. It's hard to explain. I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of it. It felt a little maybe anti-Semitic <laughs> or problematic. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, and there's a line later where uh, one of the bartenders at one of the places in Nassau is a black guy. And the is he's described as the barman moved away with Negro de- dignity, hmm. and I'm not sure what that means, and I'm not sure I want to. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. I like that the movie changes uh, Lippe trying to assassinate Bond to being right when he leaves the health clinic. In the movie, it's it's he leaves the health clinic. He goes back to MI6. He gets the mission to go to Nassau. He leaves MI6 to go to Nassau. And when he's leaving, then that's when Lippe attacks him. Mm. And he, and that whole scene plays out very similarly, but then bond just has to stop, go back to MI6, deal with the whole fallout of the assassination attempt, and then leave again to go. It's just a little clunky. And I thought the movie streamlined that in a way that made sense. I like the visual of having all the double O's in a big room together when he walks in and there's like, 10 chairs and he goes and sits in the seventh one uh and m's like you're late uh i thought that was a fun visual and i, I like yeah. seeing the other double that was, i i guess i had never really given much thought to why james bond was called 007 because i didn't realize that he was like the seventh spy yeah in this organization and i i'm wondering i was wondering how many double o agents there are and if there are any stories about one through six or eight and up or just 007. So they are mentioned in other stories. Famously, I believe it's 006 is like in uh, Goldeneye. He's like a mm. main character in Goldeneye, um, played by Sean Bean. Um, but uh, we see nine or ten of them in this movie. I can't remember how many chairs yeah. are there. It might even be eight. Is it between eight and ten chairs. Um, apparently, I did some research, and in the books, Fleming only mentions by name like four to five other double O's. But it's like a whole section of MI6. There are yeah. the double O's. We assume there's at least probably eight, nine, ten of them. We don't know how many there are for sure. But yeah, it's like a it's like a group of special agents, basically. Uh, Q, I love Q. Q's a ton of fun in all the movies. Uh, I was sad to see that he wasn't from the books, or at least he's not from this book, mm-hmm. which was very surprising to me. He does not make an appearance in this book at all, and I don't know if he does in any other books. He might just be a movie invention. Uh, Bond's red wetsuit and white booty shorts. Love what that. a look. Love you, that. you made a, a social post about that. Looks fantastic. Um, in the movie, Bond sneaks onto Largo's dive crew to kind of figure out what they're up to, and I thought that was kind of a fine way to condense everything that's happening I don't think it's necessarily better than what happens in the book, but for the cuts that the movie's making, I think it works okay. Uh, the big underwater battle at the end of the movie is a lot of fun with them all launching spears at each other. There's all these also these all these mm-hmm. fun gags. There's a pretty good like moving like side shot where we get all this fights happening. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of fun choreography yeah. and stuff there. Yeah, I thought the choreography for that scene was pretty impressive. Like yeah. 
you know, they're not doing anything super wild. But it's all but it's underwater. T- yeah, yeah, it's all underwater and it's a bunch of people. Like it's a ton yeah. of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually didn't find it nearly as confusing as that reviewer had said. Yeah. From, I thought we, I was able to follow pretty well, like mostly what was happening. Obviously, you get some standalone shots that's a little bit just like chaotic and you're not exactly right. sure. What's, but for the most part, I was able to follow yeah. kind of like what was happening. And then my last note is that I think Bond and Domino getting picked up by the plane with the Fulton thing. That's a real thing, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's called the Skyhook or whatever, um, the Fulton system. Um, I thought that was fun. Even if it's, I think, a bit rushed and clunky in the movie, it felt very much like they were like, let's get this yeah, fucking yeah, over with. Let's like, wrap hurry this up. up. Um, the book's ending has its good moments that I mentioned earlier, but it's also really exposition heavy with mm. like the here's what happened wrap up kind of thing. And Eh. But the movie's ending lacks kind of the weight and gravitas of the book. The book ends on like a very serious note that I thought was interesting. And it's kind of six and one half dozen of the other. But I like I, I like the Fulton thing. As a kid, I thought that was super cool. All right. I got a few things to talk about that the movie nailed. As I expected. Practically perfect in every way. Uh, the cover for Spectre in Paris, uh, it's the Furco organization. We see the plaque on the building uh, in the movie. It's the Fraternité, Fraternité Internationale de la Résistance contre la Pression, or whatever. A small detail that is better in the book is that when he goes inside, uh, it's staffed entirely by like 30 to 40 year old dudes because it's all the Spectre agents. Mm. In the movie, it's, it seems like a normal office, which yeah. is a better cover. Yeah. I like the idea in the movie or in the book, he walks, they walk in and it's like a row. It's like a row of like 20 desks in like a grid and it's all like identical looking like 30 year old white guys was very, it would have been a cool visual to me, but mm-hmm. But but it is the same organization that is a cover for Spectre in Paris. Um, Bond does threaten to spank Money Penny upon his return from Shrublands, uh, and she says that he won't be able to because he's going to be living on like lemon juice and yogurt for two weeks or whatever. <laughs> that comes right out of the book. Um, this is the fun sexual harassment of the Bond films. Um, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Lippy at the health clinic with the tattoo. Bond spots the tattoo and realizes something's going on with that guy. Uh, Bond does sexually assault Patricia identically in the book where she has her his hands over her his head and then he like just grabs her and kisses her mm-hmm. against her will. That plays out identically to it, how it does in the book. Um, there's a fun little weird like inverted reference in the movie where there's a scene where after they have s- Patricia and him have sex, Bond is like rubbing her back with mink fur gloves. Yeah. That is in the book, but it's reversed. It's after Bond gets fucked up by the machine. Patricia is like giving him like ther- physical therapy, and part of it is her rubbing his back with those mink fur gloves. Huh. So I thought that was a fun book yeah, reference, kind of like inverting it. The mechanics of ki- hijacking the plane and then killing the crew with the cyanide and everything while uh, the guy doing it is wearing the oxygen mask is all pretty similar. It's a bit cleaner in the movie, or in, yeah, in the movie. Uh, I liked in the book that he just opens the gas canister in the Mm -hmm. plane and then he has to wait for a while for the cyanide to dissipate. Yeah. And he's like super paranoid about it. And he just he like literally waits like an extra 30 minutes um, because he's worried the cyanide is not going to have dissipated enough and he's going to die. And then even still, he doesn't take his gas mask off in the in the book. Um, and that was also why he's in the book. They mentioned he's like 30 minutes late. And the reason he's 30 minutes late is because he was 
waiting an extra 30 minutes for the cyanide because <laughs> he was super paranoid about it. Uh, that was uh, in the movie, uh, some fast working gas. It doesn't work quite that fast in the book, yeah. but it's pretty close. He just, it's he, cyanide. Like, he, he opens it up and then everybody just immediately dies. Yeah, it's pretty similar in the book. And it's even more heartbreaking in the book. And again, I, maybe this is part of it, is that in the book it's mentioned that he's like friends with some of these guys because yeah. they're like, yeah. yeah, I say friends. He says he likes some of them. I don't know if they're like his friends necessarily. Um, but he he likes some of them and he's like not thrilled about having to kill them for this mission but he wants the money so uh, the bomb stealing and the camouflage of, of the tarp over the plane the way they pull the bombs out underwater and put them on the sled and drive them away is all like identical to the book uh, this, the scene where Bond does a night dive to Recky the Disco is pretty spot on. Um, <laughs> Recky the Disco is great. That's a band name. Um, <laughs> that's a, a term that the movie or the book uses all the time. I assume yeah. it just stands for reconnaissance. I it's like a short. So, yeah. yeah, but they use Recky all the time. Um, it's very much a British word that I've heard uh-huh. used and stuff. It feels very mid-century too. Yeah, yeah. have a little recce. Yeah, but anyways, uh, but that whole scene where he gets attacked by the spear guy uh, while he's like taking pictures of the mm-hmm. the uh, hatch on the bottom of the boat. Uh, again, only better in the book because Bond stabs that guy with a knife and then that guy gets eaten by a barracuda. This is what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> barracuda shows up and just kills that guy. Uh, but then they do throw hand grenades at him, which is exactly the same as in the book. And then finally, uh, and again, there's a lot of stuff. This book is very similar to the movie overall, or the movie is very similar to the book. But my last note here is that when they go to do the re- reconnaissance on the underwater ship, uh, Bond kills one of the sharks to distract the other sharks mm-hmm. so that he can dive down and uh, wrecky the <laughs> the plane crash without getting eaten by sharks. All right, time for a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. So I, I noticed on the on Amazon when we rented this that the opening at the beginning it said like nudity blah 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 like it was going through like the things in the movie mm-hmm. uh, and it said nudity and I was like there's like no nudity in Bond films there's implied nudity there's cleavage but there's not yeah. nudity because they're like PG movies but in the opening credits you can see some nipples in some uh, of the swimming women uh-huh. that are under at some point you can, I think that's where the, the outline is. of nipples. And I think maybe in an old school projector theater and like, it, yeah, the way movies used to be shown that would not be noticeable, but in modern, maybe digital digitized and stuff it is. I don't know. Mm. But yeah, it's, I think that was the nudity. Also, the audio mix on the Amazon version we watched is absolutely atrocious. Oh my God. It was so bad. It, the, the, the the dialogue was so far off and we have that problem a lot and everybody does with like the mix for home audio versus theater, blah, blah, blah. This was some of the worst I've ever had where it literally had to like mute the audio when like music and loud things were happening and then crank it all the way up when dialogue was happening. And also our subtitles literally just didn't work. Yeah. Tried to turn them on like four times to try to, they just, just wouldn't turn would on, would not turn on. Um, I loved the little miniature plane crashing when he lands the yeah. plane in the Bahamas. <laughs> it's very clearly a miniature. I thought that was fantastic. I love when I can tell things are miniatures yes, in movies. It's adorable. Um, who eats corn chowder poolside? So I don't think it makes it a ton better, 
But it is conch chowder is what they're saying. I or conch chowder. Sounded like he said corn to me. Yes, but, but they are specifically saying conch chowder because they're talking about how it's an aphrodisiac because conch is an aphrodisiac, okay. supposedly. And that is mentioned in the book. They're talking about eating conch or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, that's a reference. It is. Uh, again, still questionable. I don't know yeah. if I want conch chowder that's, that's, I mean, in the middle that's of a hot still a day. hot soup, right? I would think. Who who doesn't love hot soup poolside? Yeah. Uh, so my, I'm obviously unfamiliar with James Bond movies all around. Does Q usually dislike Bond? Like, is that yes. a recurring thing? Yes. At least as, insofar as the Bond, Bond movies I've seen, yes. Mm-hmm. That is their dynamic, is that uh, Q hates bonds like cavalier attitude yeah like he's very like flippant and like kind of like messes around with his gadgets and stuff and q's like bond you child like he yes that is their whole dynamic interesting yeah uh i was waiting the whole entire movie for james bond to order a martini shaken not stirred and he never did and i am very disappointed yes I, I don't. So he doesn't do that in every movie. Uh, I looked this up to see when this made its first appearance because I wasn't sure like um, when. Uh, so it's mentioned in the book Diamonds Are Forever, which is mm-hmm. 1956 and then like the second or third book or something like that. But it isn't said by Bond until Dr. No in 1958. And then it is said by Bond or it is actually said by Dr. No in the first Bond film. Hmm. And then it is not said by Bond himself until Goldfinger, which is the third film, the one right before this one. Yeah. Um, however, in the first movie or in the first book, uh, Casino Royale, he does order a shaken martini, but he doesn't use that phrase. He orders the drink that will become synonymous with the shaken, not stirred. Right. It's, it's called a Vesper because uh, it's named after the first Bond girl. Um, and he orders it shaken. But he doesn't say shaken, not stirred. And it's not even a martini. It kind of is. It's got gin and vodka, but it's like it's like a anyways. Point being, uh, it's not in this one. It, it pr- does predate this movie and this book, uh, but it just doesn't make an appearance in this one. So hmm. you'll have to wait for disappointing. A future, yeah. Future one for that. Uh, in the book, Bond has to explain underwater hand signals signals to the Navy dive team that he has, which seemed really weird to me because they're like, yeah. the, the book specifically says now they're not like there to be divers, but the, they specifically right. mention in the book that they are the 10 best swimmers in the like Navy or something like that, that he recruits. Yeah. And it just seems wild. And then he explains, like, okay, if I do this, this means stop. And I'm like, they would know that. They would that. know that. They would absolutely know that. That's super yeah, weird. Yeah, uh, underwater military? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> super huh. weird. Uh, the moment in the movie that made us both uh, chuckle a little bit, um, after Paula dies, uh, Bond says to Lighter or somebody? I think it's Lighter. Lighter? Yeah. Uh, tell the tell him Paula's dead, and he just goes okay. okay. <laughs> and then it just cuts, and we move on. I, I was like, poor Paula. I know, right? Paula deserved better. I agree. I like Paula. I was very disappointed by that. Another thing that I hated about this movie was how absolutely positive I am yeah. that they just killed multiple sharks while I, making this movie. I also think that's probably the case. Movies back then just is not give a shit about animals yeah. generally speaking and especially animals like that like right fish or whatever they were yeah. like particularly didn't care but yeah no i i, I also got that vibe uh, my last note here 
I genuinely had no idea that the Incredibles theme song is basically just the James Bond theme song. Yes. Or the, the, the bombastic one that plays yeah. at the end, not like the opening credits one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I looked this up and supposedly Brad Bird tried to get the Bond composer originally and then it fell through for whatever reason. And then he just had Michael Giacchino do his best Bond impersonation. And I'd never really thought about this before, but The Incredibles really is like, what if a superhero team got dropped into a Bond film? Yeah, kind of. Like yeah. it, we get like the island with right, the secret, secret layer and, 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 and like Edna Mode feels kind of like a Bond character. Like yeah. just a lot of it is kind of like a Bond thing. And so that makes a lot of sense, but I never really thought about that before. It was interesting, but yeah, no, absolutely. That is an intentional reference, um, by the Incredibles from what I was able to find. They mm. basically Brad Bird just wanted like the bond theme essentially. All right. Before we get to my final verdict, I want to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by hanging over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads. Let us know what you thought about Thunderball. God knows I had a lot of thoughts. We would like to hear what you had to think. We'll talk about those on the next prequel episode. If you want to do us a favor, head over to iTunes or sorry, Apple podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you listen to the show, drop us a five-star rating, write us a little review. We would appreciate that. And if you want to really support us even more than that, head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. You give us two bucks a month. You get access to bonus content or not bonus content. You get access to early access and ad free episodes, $5 a month. You get access to bonus content. We just did an episode on Anastasia. If you want to hear our thoughts on Anastasia, it was Katie's, birthday pick you can hear that and we'll be doing another episode here very shortly and at the 15 and up level you get access to priority recommendations where if you have something that you would really like for us to talk about you can recommend it and we will add it to our list as soon as we possibly can which is that exactly what this was from one of our patrons katie who was it uh this was a request from vic vicious there you go vic vicious thank you for requesting thunderball it's time for my final verdict now uh... Are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. As I expected, Thunderball remains not my favorite Bond film. And I think arguably not even a top 10 Bond film. But it's also far from the worst the series has to offer. If you can look past the rampant sexism inherent to early Bond, Connery plays a captivating 007 with just the right balance of charm, humor, and gravitas, and the underwater set pieces are fun visual spectacles and impressive achievements in choreography and cinematography. There are also some fun additions like the femme fatale Fiona, Bond's CIA partner Paula, and the gadget master Q, and Claudine Auger has a great turn as Domino. But that's pretty much where my praise for this film ends. The book, on the other hand, while way more problematic, is leagues more interesting and layered. From watching the films as a child, I had only ever viewed Bond as the ultimate quote-unquote cool guy. A cool guy who was unfazed by anything and everything. In the films, regardless of the situation, he stays calm, cool, and collected. So it was fascinating to see a different side of Bond in this novel. He gets scared. He gets nervous. He doubts himself, and he gets queasy around particularly gruesome violence. It's something I just never expected, and I found it eminently fascinating. Fleming's writing style, when you can parse the lingo he's using, is thoroughly engaging, and even the stuff that is hard to understand makes the subject matter feel grounded in reality. Obviously, I don't understand classified, super top-secret spy lingo, but I'm not supposed to. But you're allowed to piece things together through context, which can be fun in its own way, and it adds a sense of authority to the story. It makes you buy in and believe that this could be real. Despite the novel being 
deeply sexist at its core, Domino is a brilliantly written character who has more layers than you'd expect from, and pardon the term, a Bond girl. She's her own character with mountains of backstory and motivation that the movie just doesn't really care to show us. So while the book may be layered with a ton more misogyny, it somewhat balances that by giving us a multifaceted and complex female lead, which again, the movie is just not interested in doing. Finally, the plot in the book actually makes sense, or at least it all added up to me, whereas the movie felt like trying to solve a jigsaw puzzle with a third of the pieces missing. The connective tissue and the details in the story that makes us understand why characters are doing what they're doing and what people's goals are are simply missing. That works okay for a movie that's only interested in being an action-adventure spectacle, but it doesn't make for the most satisfying narrative. So for all of those reasons, and some more that I'm sure I've forgotten, I'm giving this one to the book. Katie, what's next? Up next, we are getting started on spooky season. Let's go! And we're going to cover something that I've been wanting to cover for a while. We will be talking about practical magic. Absolutely. Very excited about this. A novel by Alice Hoffman and mm -hmm. 1998 film. Oh, there you go. So yeah, we're getting ready for uh, Halloween. Talking about practical magic in two weeks' time. And in one week's time, we're previewing practical magic and seeing what all of you had to say about Thunderball. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.